on episode 71 of Pixel Gaiden. We're thankful for brown beer. Konami hires indie devs. What exactly is a Franken system? So many new Amstrad games. Something new you can play Doom on. Cody talks about his collecting future. Eric talks about the systems he didn't have. Six good games with radars. And no more Echo. Eric, it is getting colder. There's a chill, a nip in the air, if you will. Indeed, there is. Indeed, I, there is. I am hoping you had a spooktacular Halloween. I did. I did. It was. A, I sat in the driveway and had a had a little fire pit and handed out candy. It was everything I dreamed it would be. Did you have your Nightmare in the Dark Neo Geo game out? I didn't this year. No, I did not. You didn't. You didn't have a a, a Neo Geo in the front yard with a bottle of hand sanitizer next to it. I didn't do it. I and didn't free, do it this and free year. Face masks. Probably for the better. We were actually pretty busy. Lots of kids. Lots were of kids. Were you? Well, it's been yeah, like two years of, of absolutely fun. nothing. Really? Yours wasn't? No, we we had a ton of kids this year. Not last year, but this year. But yeah, the last two years, not a single trick-or-treater was out. Wow. We were, we were uh, in I, different neighborhoods, but our neighborhood, not a single trick-or-treater was out. That surprises me. It was, but... it was COVID lockdown, bruh. It's weird times, weird times. And, and Eric, also, I'm thankful for my co-hosts, both, oh. my, both my co-hosts, Eric and Tim, this Thanksgiving holiday. Coming up. What are you thankful for, Eric? I'm thankful for my co-hosts as well. They have the biggest Pokeballs of them all. How do you respond <laughs> to this? Well, I mean, uh, it's true. The truth hurts sometimes. <laughs> Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you are not familiar, this is Pixel Guide N. If you made it this far uh, and thought you were listening to a video game show, well, you're right. Um, the best place you can go for retro and retro-inspired video game knowledge and discussion. Uh, my name is Cody Hoffman. This is Eric Nelson, and uh, we are part of the Amigos Retro Gaming Network. Eric. Yes, we are. I think. We haven't been suspended yet, have we? Not yet, but you said a few things last <laughs> show that could have gotten kicked off here. But, you know, <laughs> we, try to be, we try to be a family-friendly event. Uh, this is episode 70. Coming up on the show today, Eric and I are going to be talking into microphones. Also, uh, there's going to be a segment called Eric's Take, where what are you going to talk about, Eric? I'm talking about game consoles that I played as a kid but didn't own myself. Basically, what other friends and... Uh, stores had and my my recollection of those systems i'm curious about that because for me everyone just had nintendo's one at, at my age you know it was just all nintendo's and the one weird kid that had a master system way like in the back of the neighborhood <laughs> who was shunned exactly um, and, and i i say this in my segment but i i knew zero kids that had nintendo entertainment systems that's yeah you, you were the, that means you were the weird kid um exactly <laughs> 
Uh, Cody's Corner this time. Instead of having a tea time for Tim, tea time with Tim, uh, we're going to put Cody's Corner in the first episode this month. And I'm going to talk about um, another self-serving topic where I'm going to talk about what I feel like collecting next. Now that um, I have a pretty good collection of systems and things, and um, I still want to pick up cool stuff for the shelf, but... What exactly should that entail? So that's what I'm going to cover. Uh, Tim, unfortunately, does not have his... Uh, his, his. He's a little under the weather, I suppose. So um, our prayers are with yeah. him. And I uh, hope he gets better. But we'll have a whole lot of Tim next episode on the 30th, um, as he will be joining us, at, per usual, to catch up and talk about uh, a battle... Or we're doing a battle of the system. Yeah. Uh, where, which, which you picked out, those games. Those are going to be interesting. They are. They. I, I thought they'd be pretty similar, but it turns out they're pretty different. I think there's going to be a lot to talk about. And that was uh, Crash Bandicoot on the PlayStation up against the Dreamcast Super Magnetic Neo. And yeah. then uh, this episode, our, our big our big to-do, six good games. Um, you picked this topic as well. I did, and six good games that have some kind of radar element to them. Like a little radar in the corner of the screen. Yeah. It was interesting trying to pull these up because I thought I would have a million and I probably do, but I couldn't, I couldn't conjure them from the back of my brain. Um, as we mentioned, we are on the Amigos Retro Gaming Network, so please check out the other shows out there. Uh, recently, Amigos Everything Amiga, that podcast talked about Metal Gear, which is a brand new 2021 release for the Amiga. Um, mm-hmm. It is a, a port of the NES and MSX Classic. I guess it's MSX Classic, really, and then that was ported to the NES. Have you played that one yet? No, I haven't. Again, I, my, my, I haven't. We don't have to get into the whole thing, but it's been two months since I touched one of my retro video game machines. I finally have everything next to me here, and as soon as we're done with this podcast, I'm delving in, Eric. Awesome. Um, ARG presents. Uh, they're going to talk about a computer I've never heard of. I think it's a computer, the Com X thirty five. Yep, it is a computer, and I listened to that episode. And after that, I, I as I always do with their show, I had to look it up and see what the prices <laughs> were on eBay. Um, it looks like a very interesting machine. I mean, it's a uh, very low end, but it's it supposedly has a lot of interesting. I'll have to, I'll have to check that out. Um, yeah. They're going to compare two games on that: Get Your Gadget and Crosshorde. Uh, yep. Sprite Castle. Our boy Rob Flack O'Hara talks about Cauldron in episode mm-hmm. sixty-eight. Ars yep. Sinclair. They talk about the game Mikey on the ZX Spectrum. There uh, is an episode of The Coco Show where they cover Photon, which is exclusive to the Coco 3. I believe uh, they said it was the best game available on the Coco 3. So I don't know if I've tried Photon yet, so um, give that one a shot. And last but not least, 1200XL, the Atari podcast they do, they covered Rally Speedway. Yes, which I don't think I've played that one because I, I heard that episode too, and I don't, I don't think I've played that one. So I need to try that because they had... High praise. High praise. Eric, what do we like to do at the very beginning of our shows? Um, this is always a trick question. But is I'm going to say... Is it a trick quick question? questions. It's not a trick question. It's a quick question. Quick questions. So first quick question is uh, one that I put together here. Uh, yeah. Do you have a Franken-system project you would like to try? Um. So I don't know if you thought explain, about this one, but explain that to me a little bit. What is a Franken well, system exactly? Here's a, here's a, well, it is, um, basically I have one. I just want an excuse to talk about it. That's why I want to ask you about it. Sure. 
Well, you just did one, Eric. And uh, in fact, you'll probably be talking about that later on uh, next episode in Catching Up, where you uh, did a, a cool modification, modern modification to an old machine in your SX64 that I gave you. Okay, so um, I get what you mean. So take a machine and pretty much just kind of make it your own. Yeah, some some people would call it um, ruining an old machine. Some people might call yes. it um, uh, you're an awful person. Those things, every single m- system ever made should be preserved exactly the way it is. Yep. Uh, so, so I'll give you mine while you think about that. Okay. And I've been wanting to do this for a while, and unfortunately the prices have gone up a little bit. But I, Game Gears used to be a dime a dozen. Like even two yeah. years ago, they were like 10, 15 bucks. I should have mm-hmm. grabbed a couple. But the project I really want to do, and it should be simple, uh, is to just literally take the thing apart, uh, get a, another system or, um, I don't know, maybe a, maybe a, maybe one of the, uh, those cheap knockoff uh, NES classics, you know, that, that you can get on yeah. Goodwill at people, you know, they, they were 15 bucks or whatever new, and now they're free basically on Goodwill. Uh, maybe paint that thing black, put a Sega logo in it, carve a hole in the top, put the, the Sega Gen or Sega um, Game Gear board in it. Um, use some uh, some uh, what's this rubber stuff that you that you got me onto right here? Sugru, Sugru, yeah, to kind of make the a little console port, a little hole in the top, so you can actually plug cartridges in. You know, yeah. and then take the video. I can tap into the board, figure out where the video is. I'm sure I can find out online. And make it so that basically make a consoleized Game Gear, so I can take all my Game Gear games, which I do have, and and play them with a you know Master System controller and pl- have them show up on the CRT. I just think it'd be the coolest little console. Like I want to I want to create that. Yeah, no, that that sounds like a fun project. And I heard about something similar to that, but it was taking the guts out of a Game Gear and putting in a Raspberry Pi that had all the Game Gear games, so that you could like modernize it and make it look really cool, but still have it in the same game gear f- form factor. So that, gotcha. see, that's my that thing. Sound is, like- my thing is I want to get away from the game gear form factor. Cause I just can't do small screens anymore. I just can't like, I want, I want to play the game gear games, but I need them on the big screen. Of course I could raspberry Pi and play them that way, but I just want to have my own little console. I think it'd be cool. I think that would be cool too. And I mean, now that you've laid out the parameters of Franken systems, I, I, uh, <laughs> I actually, I, I guess I'm, I think I could be, I could run to be the mayor of uh, Franken's Franken system town because it seems <laughs> like that's all I've been doing lately. Either like putting the mister inside of a wedge computer yeah, or yeah. the SX64 or, I mean, I've, I've got a ton of projects I'm working on, but I am, I do have one coming up um, hopefully within a month or two. It's going to be taking a 3D pr- printed, um, there's these, this open source project called the Callisto two. And it okay. basically is this all in one. It's, it's basically looks like one of those very old, like terminals, like, uh, you know, from the late seventies, but you stick a raspberry Pi in it, but it has a screen that looks like a CRT, but it's really an LCD and okay. it's going to have a full mechanical keyboard on it. It's just going to be an all in one little portable raspberry Pi system, which you could run, video games you could run a terminal you could use it for work if you wanted to you could basically do anything with it so i think that's going to be my next big project david z our buddy david z on uh the discord is has printed me out one it's all done oh, but he's nice. just waiting for he's waiting for a box to put it in and i'm going to start ordering parts for it for like like probably in a couple weeks nice 
That sounds fun. Yeah. Like I said, I'm, I'm yeah. excited to get everything set up here so I can start playing with that stuff again. Awesome. Um, we have another quick question coming up here, but just before, we want to make sure you guys know about RetroRewind.ca. Yes. You, if you have a Commodore or mini Commodore computers, I don't care which one, Amiga, Commodore 64, SX64, Plus 4, 16, I don't know, I'm just naming Commodore computers now, C, C128, Eric, all of those computers. <laughs> all of them. All of them. You need to head yourself down to RetroRewind.ca. Um, if you head on down there, you're going to find all the things you would love to pick up, like the uh, Kung Fu Flash Cart, so you can play all your games on your Commodore computers, uh, diagnostic harnesses, cool things like <laughs> that. Even the new uh, Amiga OS you can get from uh, RetroRewind.ca. But one new thing I noticed on here, which is pretty cool, they came out with these Commodore 64 uh, case saver line of products. You have clips, posts, and standoffs, and these are little... Uh, plastic bits so that your aging brittle falling apart commodore or commodores uh, i know i have various ones in different case of falling apart these yes. basically allow you to uh, put your case back together put kind of new um, clips standoffs and posts inside your c64 to get it uh you know nice and strong and physically sturdy again so you can pound on it for years to come i know the two vic 20s i have have broken clips on the case like they just they got brittle and they snapped off when I opened it one day. So there you go. That's exactly that what these really are cool. for. And you know what? I didn't say, even see those. So those are new. Yeah, I, same here. So uh, and it does say C sixty four case, but guess what? Vic twenty is the same case. Is the same case. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Eric, awesome. know what's great and, about and these? They're 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 already a great price. But but what is, what else could could our listeners do? Could it get better? Yes. It could. The answer is yes. The, it could get better. If you put in our code PG10 at checkout, you will get 10% off. Uh, that stands for Pixel Guide. And so PG10, uh, if you if you put that in there, you will get 10% off, which for some of these things, I mean, it's going to make it so cheap. Absolutely. And that's uh, one thing I wanted to talk about with, with, with Frank at, at Retro Rewind. His prices are already so dang low compared how? to like... How do you keep the prices so low, Frank? It's volume. It's volume, man. <laughs> we pass the savings on to you. Exactly. But he, he already has great prices, and then you get 10% off of that. He is, Wait, it's he a win-win, uh, as they say. He's selling the farm. Is that the right term? Did something I say like that right? That. No. Something so like head that. on down. Uh, actually, I would say tell them Pixel Gaiden sent you, but the way you do that is you go to retrorewind.ca forward slash pixelguiden. And as Eric yep. said, use code PG10 at checkout to save 10% on your order. All right. This next question is not from uh, you, Eric. Why not? It is not. This one is from the Discord. It's Pajaco oh, 6502 Pajaco. from our Discord. His question is, oh, boy, here we go. We're going to get in trouble with the sensors. You guys ready? <laughs> uh, what adult... Um, i.e. R-rated or 18-rated games did you have as a kid that your parents did not know about? All right. We got we to gotta be, be sensitive to this one because we are a yes, family-friendly show. But Of course. Um, it's funny because I think there's a lot more of this stuff going on. I, I, I'm, I don't know. I, I grew up with a Mac, right? Yeah. Macintosh, Mac Plus, black and white Mac Plus. I don't think there was a ton of that stuff on there. Um, I could be wrong. Uh, but the one, I'd say the only thing I, I would point out was there is a game, a uh, great game called Glider. Yeah. Have you played Glider? on? Um, it's I, been on other systems as well. I have. Yes, I have. 
very fun game. And I just remember when you first turned on the game, there was a logo of like this fairy. And it was like, it was basically just a, a picture of a topless woman with like wings. And yeah. I would restart that game over and over again without my mom knowing. My mom knew that that picture was part of that logo because we turned it on and played the game together sometimes. But um, yeah, she you was know. like, oh, oh. Oh my! It, yeah, pretty big, pretty big deal. She's probably made of like two hundred pixels, so you know, pretty detailed. <laughs> that's the closest I would I could say I really. Uh, and my parents did know about it, so that's not even that big of a thing. But really, really not a thing for my childhood. All yeah, right, you know, I wasn't I wasn't into adult <laughs> games, you know, um, so I, I didn't really have a ton. But I do remember, besides like, because I, I was I was big into downloading pirated games on BBSs and stuff like that. And I remember I got Samantha Fox's strip poker. And, I was you know, waiting that, for you to say one of those strip poker games. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, frankly, I just wasn't my cup of tea. I wasn't really into poker. And I it, it just it, it really was so pixelated and horrible that I was just like, whatever. Don't, I mean, the, the graphics are actually pretty decent in there. Don't but, lie, Eric. You tried over and over and over again. You just sucked at poker. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I did not. But well, maybe. But um <laughs> The one that really I remember the most is I downloaded a game without knowing what it was. This is how naive I was. It was a game called Farmer's Daughter. And it was, I downloaded it and it was a text adventure game. Okay. <laughs> and when I first started it, I was like, oh, what is this about Farmer's Daughter? Do you play as the Farmer's Daughter? I don't know. So I'm sitting there and, you know, you're a guy and you show up, you get a flat tire or something and you show up at this guy's house and, it's some farmer dude. And he's like, yeah, but don't mess with my daughter. And then, you go in, and then like, I hate to say it, but I played it a lot longer than I should have. And, uh, it, it was a pretty adult text adventure game. Did That's it ever dawn on you or did you beat the game going, that was weird. What was that all about? I, I remember, <laughs> <laughs> I remember I did beat the game and it, cause it wasn't that long. It really wasn't that elaborate of a game. Um, but it, it really was not. A very, I don't remember much about it, to be honest with with you. But Funny. I do remember the content was pretty uh, adult. Well, now I'm gonna, now I'm going to search that one on the Commodore database. <laughs> Good, please uh, download it, play it, beat it. And we'll talk about it next episode. <laughs> so, if you want to find show information, you're going to go to pixelguiden.com. If you want to reach us on Twitter, you can reach me, Eric Nelson, at the project D U H project. You can reach the show at at pixel underscore Gaiden. You can reach Cody at at oddball, which is ODDBA1149. You can reach Tim at sanction at S-A-N-X-I-O-N. Please review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast catcher that you use. That would be really helpful for us. And if you want to email us, you can email at podcast at pixelguiden.com. And we do encourage feedback we also have a Patreon account set up, so if you wish to support the show financially, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pixelguiden. You can support us with as little as a dollar all the way up to infinite dollars. If you do so, you'll get access to the Amigos Retro Network Discord server, where all kinds of cool chat is happening about not only our show, but the other shows, such as Bright Castle and, of course, the Amigos, um, amongst other shows. And there's various other topics in there. Um, everything from for sale to music to uh, high score contests, things like that. If you support us at the $3 or more tier, we like to announce every supporter at that level here on the show in a way that we can only do here on Pixel Guide and using our random adjective generator. And to do so this month, 
we are going to get lost in the boundaries of our own minds. As we walk among the neon blades of glowing grass, we see the nutty Dustin Newell and the genteel Matthew Ackerman. Cool water rushes up to greet us, and soon we find ourselves floating on a slow, lazy river alongside the faulty Daniel James, the fanatical Josh Malone, and the organic Eric Sandgren. Looking skyward, we see the fluffy white pillows that are clouds in the shape of the quarrelsome David Vincent, the ruddy tentative Mika Retrocast, and the mighty Roy Fielding. Our backs start to tingle, and we realize a number of large insects have fashioned themselves into a raft, and we are being carried downstream. On the shore, we see friends waving at us, the smiling face of the jazzy Mr. Toast, the absurd Machi Sosnowski, the thoughtful Paradroid, and the evanescent Ramoke Ramoke. Soon we feel the weight we lifted off our feet as we are lifted skyward by some shiny golden butterflies. Peering into their faces, we see the wasteful Ann Stiller, the sticky Mitsuyama, the innate Gary Heather, and the jittery Brian Arsenault. As we move ever higher, we look down to see the mountains and trees distant below. And suddenly we're falling down, down, until we splat into a green pile of goo, startling the onlookers, the shocking Paul Jacobson, the aback Jason Holland, and new to the podcast, the wakeful Mark Scott. All right. Yes, thank you so much. It really means a lot. And by the way, I wanted to mention something, Cody, about this. Um, I sent out a little Patreon message today, and I forgot to even tell you about this before the show. So Ouch, I, though. I sent it without your authorization. <laughs> but I did buy a uh, <laughs> the general of Pixel Gaiden. The um, general. I, uh, I, I bought some equipment that's going to allow us to get back into getting some supporters involved in segments again like we oh, used cool. to with interviews and things like that and i have some new new ideas like maybe a pa- patreon supporter game show uh maybe like a two or three person round table where we discuss a particular topic um and i have ideas all drawn out so i'm hoping to get that going i want to test all my equipment out and get that going in december so look for that it'll be just a segment in in our usual episodes very cool um yeah. Let's go ahead and crack open some beers. That's what we do at this point in the show. While we're while we're getting them out, Eric, I, I do want to point out a couple quick things um, for those uh, again who haven't listened in a while. Uh, I am now in a new house with a new setup. I keep kind of hinting at it, but um, because of that, there's been kind of a, a lack of quality in the last show. So I apologize for that, but I think we're good to go now. Um, also, I have. Uh, for three months told you that I was going to release another YouTube video about the Vectrix. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. Still need to finish that one up. So that should be coming hopefully soonish. We also talked for about two months now about a special MSX episode where we talk about the MSX uh, 2021 competition. And we have not done yet that yet, but we need to do that because I played all the games, had a blast with them, and we need to we need to make that happen too, I think. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to need a refresher, though. I forgot them all. <laughs> I, I played every one of them, too. So, All right, Eric's grabbing his beer. Um, I'll be real quick about this. Just to guys let you know, if you do want to check out the YouTube videos we have, go to youtube.com forward slash pixelguiden. And sometimes uh, we have some Twitch stuff go up on twitch.tv forward slash pixelguiden. And um, bah, 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 that's about it. So, Oh, and... and there's also Twitch streaming from our friends uh, over there at the Amigos Retro Network, including ARGN on YouTube on Thursdays once a month. Or, I'm sorry, once a week normally. There we go. I did my, my due diligence. So what do you got to drink tonight uh, for these festivities here? So this is a local brewery. I got it is from the King Kong Brewery. Kong is spelled with a C, but this is in Sacramento. In fact, it's in my old hood in Del Paso Heights. Um, but this is a Mexicali. Amber Lager Cerveza Negra. All right. Let me see so that thing. I think I saw that today when I was looking. Yeah, I did see that one. Yeah, yep. very cool can. Um, and this is uh, I, this is a brewery I want to visit. We I've, we've, we actually had one of their beers on the show. It wasn't this one, but it was a while ago. All right. Well, I Born got this bad boy. What do you got? Today? I got some beers. And I was hoping, actually, I was in kind of your neck of the woods today, and I kind of kicking myself i didn't just grab these beers and run one over and throw it over your back fence and tell you about it later like hey we're having yeah, beers on the can. show uh, right. i you can always do that couldn't help myself and i had to get a another beer that is local to my new hometown here uh this is from knee deep brewing in auburn california yes and it takes two of my favorite things and mashes them together and i can't wait to try it um it is called i don't know if you can see it eric can, oh, can you see, can you see my screen at all or no? I can see the the notes, but I can't see your picture. At all. Oh, hold You're on, very gotta... tiny. You're in a little tiny window. Well, that's my life. I'm stuck in a glass box of emotion. <laughs> um, man, I'm going to screw this thing up. How do I stop? There we go. Stop sharing. Boo! There we go. Oh, wow. There you go. It's called Puckered Keister. <laughs> and it is a uh, key lime pie sour. Wow. So I am all about this. I am very excited to try this. So let me crack this bad boy open. That to me sounds like it either is going to be really good or it's going to be really bad. So I'm not going to lie. I went to a local um, uh, restaurant around here uh, called the Thirsty Barrel. They have 30 beers on tap and they're all local uh, and had one from Moonraker, which is probably one of my top three breweries of all time, which happens to be here in, in Auburn as well. And um, they had a key lime pie um, sour, and I absolutely loved it. So I'm hoping this is similar. All right, Eric. Where's my button? All right. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. Ching. We have a winner. It's delicious. Is it? Oh, it's delicious. It actually even looks a little green. I think that's just my imagination, though. Whew, that is good. All right. Uh, I would say out of out of uh, how much of a puckered keister does this beer <laughs> provide, I would say I am ninety two percent puckered. 
Ninety-two <laughs> percent puckered. Mm. Is it good? Oh, it's I mean, good. how's the flavor? It's really good. Really, I love it. Yeah. Okay. I love yeah, key lime. The- it's like one of my favorite flavors in the world, and sours are delicious. So it just works. That is awesome. This one is a what you would expect. It's kind of almost like a red ale. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, so it's got that amber kind of multi flavor to it. Um, there is a little tiny flavor like at the end, like uh, on the at the finish, which is a little off putting, but not much. Uh-oh. So I, I actually I actually think it's really good. No, it's overall it's a really good one. I think if I were to rate it in the same hundred percent system, <laughs> out of hundred percent puckered. Yeah, I'm gonna give it. <laughs> I'm going to give this one uh, 81%. All right. Solid. Solid. All right. Well, you keep sipping on that bevy, and uh, I think we start some news. <laughs> Reporting the news. All right. We are into the news. Eric is sharing my Whoa. screen, currently looking at himself again, which I do every time I share the screen. And I've got news item number one here, Eric. Yes, you do. And I'll, be, I'll be honest. Um, I I relied heavily on Retro RGB for a lot of uh, our news topics this time because he's got some cool stuff that he reported on. So uh, if yeah. you guys haven't been there, go to RetroRGB.com. Uh, he's very into the, he's into the hardware side of retro video game stuff. Um, but for my good old, uh, well, both of our good old, uh, friends, the Vectrix, uh, a new Vectrix multi-controller adapter called the Vectorlink came out and essentially it is a little adapter. Let's see if there's a picture of it here. There's not. It's a little adapter that, um, you put in your Vectrix. There you go. Um, and you can plug in, I believe, USB items to it, but it also okay. comes with a little Bluetooth adapter. Um, so you can, it has videos of him, of him playing with everything from 8-bit Doe uh, controllers, including the joysticks, um, Xbox game pads, PlayStation 4 game pads, Wii game pads. Um, and it's cool because especially like the 8-bit Doe joystick that we have, Eric, is perfect because it's already got a joystick and kind of four buttons like <laughs> right it's got a it's thing with four buttons not to mention i mean if these con- adapters are doing it right they get the analog signals correct which they're analog right yeah you need analog for um for vectrex for, yeah. for the vectrex which yeah a lot of the new controllers will have an analog joystick so um very cool i yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about get it if it was a little cheaper i would i would for sure grab one they are going for about 70 dollars that's not that bad, and he has a picture of of uh, the joystick, the the big eight bit dough, uh, you know, fighting stick, and that yep. would be awesome. That would be amazing to play on the the Vectrex. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's what the the eight bit dough joystick that we, you you and I yeah. both have one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he's showing all these different, even the Wii nunchucks. Uh, he, I mean, he's got all kinds <laughs> of the video. He just goes on for literally. Looks like a almost four minutes straight of him just going through controllers. Like this works, this works, this works, this works, and uh, this one's interesting. Look at this one. Hold on. Yeah, that, that is the uh, that is just the weed nunchuck, and he's tilting it left yeah. and right. Um, and he's playing uh, a a game. It's kind of it's a homebrew game. It's kind of like um, 
Oh, what's that game on the Atari 2600 where you're the, like, the bomb guy catching the, catching the bombs? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's almost like Bazooka or something. What is it? Oh, shoot. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's um, going to kill come me. Come on. <laughs> um, it's a, come on, oh, man. Figure man. this out. I, I, I can see it. It's, it's on the tip of my cart. tongue. Purple cart. Yeah. Guy dropping bombs. You got three little buckets. Yep. You're trying to catch the bombs. Man. Everybody scream at us through the radio, maybe, or through your yeah car stereos. However, you're listening to this right now, tell us what it is. But oh, this is cool. If you look at the price of Vectrex uh, controllers, this is not expensive. <laughs> Vectrex yeah. controllers are ridiculously expensive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, do do you have two already? I, I've always only had one. Um, you know I, what? This this is kind of one of those things where when I got my Vectrex. I'll tell this real quick, but I went to a store that had just got it in. They put yeah. it out on display. It came with like seven boxed games complete and two joysticks. And I got it for, uh, I, I talked them down to, I think, like 300 bucks for all right. that, which yeah. I was stoked about. But I, it, at that time, I didn't have 300 bucks, you know, just sitting around to spend. So I sold Free, one yeah. of the joysticks and um, one of the games, which was uh, Castle... Oh, uh, shoot. What was it? Dark Castle? Is that what it is? Yeah. No, no. Yep. Dark. Well, there is a Dark Castle on there. I can't remember right now. But anyways, uh, I ended up basically selling those two and getting like 180 bucks back. So as far as I'm concerned, it was a good deal getting a Vectrex and six games, one controller for 120 bucks by the time I was done. Right. So, no, that's, that's, so I do that's not have not two controllers. Deal. Yeah, and I don't either. I never have. So it would be worth it to me to get something like that. And in, in other Vectrex comments here by the way i tried to go get vector blade because i really want that oh yeah awesome game and i've emailed the guy and i've signed up on his website or whatever he he never got back to me huh so i don't know if they're just sold out and he just hasn't updated the page but man i really want to get that huh interesting okay i'll help you look into that for a second item number two on the docket yeah uh I wanted to bring this up, even though it kind of was happening. We talked about it in a previous epi- episode in a positive light. However, I really kind of looked into this, and I know these got released, and now it puts a whole new spin on this news topic for me. Okay. That is the Intellivision Amico and its physical media, yeah. which they've been selling. Have you been following this at all? Ah, uh, man. No, no. I would like you to explain it to me like, and speak to me like I'm a five-year-old. I will. I will do this. So we were excited because we understand. saw we saw the physical media, you know, actual cartridges yes. in boxes that look really cool. Cool artwork, yes. very nostalgic looking. You're looking at the picture here uh, mm-hmm. of games and stuff that are coming out for the Amico, which is the system that we've been wanting to get here and hopefully will come out someday, right? Yeah. Here's the issue, and, and I'll, I'll try not to put any, uh, any rose-colored glasses on, and I'll just put it out there and see what you think. Okay. All right, so... The media has already been made, has already been sold to people, and has already been shipped. It is being shipped. You cannot buy individual games. You can buy a four-pack of games. There's eight total. So if you want to buy one of the four-packs, it's $79.99. Or you can buy both four-packs for savings of $10 at a total of $149.99. Okay. So the games are coming out. Uh, They're already in people's hands. And there is no system for these games, but they have the games. The games... I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. The games are physical in the fact that you can hold them, but 
but they don't plug into the machine. There's no, there's nothing on the game cartridge except for an RFID code. So oh. at this point, there is no game. There's a physical cartridge that does nothing. And the idea is down the road when this system gets released, you'll be able to like, I guess, put the cartridge near your system to prove that you have the game and then it will download the game, which is still not done. So that's what has been sold. Yeah. Now, do you know if it downloads the game every time or does it just do it once and install on some kind of hard drive or something? Well, so I I mean, it it does it once because I I know when we were, when we were getting excited about this and we bought our founders edition, whatever pre-order, right? Yeah. Uh, 400 bucks. Uh, the idea was it was only going to be digital only. And then when we heard, when I heard physical media, I got excited. I'm like, cool. They're going to put a cartridge port on this thing, but they're not, they're just selling stuff ahead of the system. And the idea is if those games come out and if the Amico comes out, now you can download the game. Yeah, I mean that yeah, I mean that that is disappointing to me because let's say you have these games and let's say the Amico doesn't work out. And you but you have your Amico and you're happily playing games and you're like, "Okay, this RFID thing isn't so bad." Mm-hmm. But then what happens if your Amico dies and you have to buy a, a used one like I did with the Ouya? And you go to slap it with this RFID thing so it downloads the game. And well, there's no more backend servers. Well, I, I think you're already thinking pretty positively in that case. I, the way my mind goes is, why would you need to sell a whole bunch of games and make a whole bunch of money for a system that hasn't come out yet? Well, that yes, that that <laughs> that, that that that's the biggest. Um, I guess, like on in the Twitterverse, that is the biggest thing I I heard about with this system. Like big, big old red flag. Like, what? Do you guys why, need why that are you money? Selling you... games that, yeah, like they like exactly. It's like a money grab. Like they, I, they need money to continue trying to get this game out, get game yeah. system out, and that is really upsetting because we already put down money for that. Yep. Um. So no, that that's kind of upsetting to me. So. And what are the chances uh, that these games are the only Amico and television items that are sold because the money runs out and everything just stops? Right. Mm, which try not to be a downer try not to be a downer but as long as you're okay buying buying four games at a time that have nothing to do with each other because you're going to get like finnegan fox biplane missile command and dynablast yeah (laughs) so as long as you want those four games or do you want rigid force redux evil knievel brain dead and moon patrol you know yeah i mean if you want all those cool but anywho that's that news topic well, I mean, the last time we talked about the Amico, I was getting a little down on it. And, you know, a few delays is acceptable, but it's starting to get a little ridiculous. Um, but when I heard when I heard about this, um, I don't know. I, I, I was sold that it was going to be a system that we could play forever, right? I mean, yeah. that was one of its selling points was you can buy this, it's going to have physical media. And that to me means like my Nintendo, like my Genesis, 20 years after the fact, I can plug a cartridge in there and it's still going to work exactly the same as it did back in the day, right? Yeah. But with RFID, if my Amico dies and I got to go get another one, what am I going to do? Yeah, gotcha. So anyway, that is disappointing. 
I have a button for that. <laughs> so Eric, my next you. news item is something we know about. Tim knows about. Um, I'm not sure. You probably haven't had time to, to get into this, but I'm sure you will. Um, the Briley Witch Chronicles is finally out. In fact, I got an email yesterday that she has released a couple of updates over the last couple of weeks, and it is up to 1.04. Fixes a few little glitches, I think, with the saving in on the easy cart image. But um, this game is $9.99, total deal. And it's an RPG by S- Sarah Jane Avery based on the series of books that she's written. Yeah. And uh, the little bit I so I played, I got maybe about half an hour into it. And then I had to move on to other stuff to get the show ready. <laughs> um, so... I haven't had a time a chance to move forward, but I've been following a couple of my Twitter people. One of us is our, one of our supporters, Josh Malone. And I know Tim, they've gotten really far in it. And I guess like at first when you're playing it, it seems um, it, she, she does ease you into it. So you're, you play it first and you're like, okay, well, this is kind of cute. Kinda, and it works pretty cute well. And shallow. Yeah. Yeah. And shallow, but then it gets very sophisticated with making potions and, and doing other things in the game it it ramps up to be probably is going to end up being one of the best, if not the best RPG on the Commodore 64. Yeah, it looks really cool. It is a turn-based kind of JRPG style. Um, yep. Although the way it looks and things, I would say it's kind of a, a mix between JRPG turn-based and, um, you know, American, uh, what do you want to call it? trash <laughs> RPGs. <laughs> um, looks super <laughs> cool. Never heard of Meritrash. I've never heard that. It's actually never more of, of a, a board game reference, but anyways. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm looking at the website here, and uh, it says uh, hours and hours of gameplay, more than 16 hours with normal play. Which, Which is, for 9.99, that's perfect. Yeah. No, that's. I mean, that's I'm, that's more than I could ask for. That's awesome. Now, um, last I heard, and I think the numbers are up on this. She had already sold over 500 copies. Awesome. And. I, so she said she's already starting to work on Briley Witch Chronicles 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> no, I don't know about that second it. part. <laughs> um, but um, And she mentioned that she may start working on an Amiga version of this. Oh, wow. So, which would, I would assume, have upgraded, updated graphics, updated sound, all that kind of good stuff. So that would be a very interesting development. So I'm going to stay tuned. Uh, you can't go wrong getting any game from Sarah Jane Avery. I don't think she's made a bad game in the bunch. I mean, I love all of her. Nothing that she's released. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, this looks Sorry, absolutely awesome. Yep. I'll be picking that up. Um, here's one I found on Nintendo life and I found this interesting just cause it looks fun. Uh, this is a retro inspired news item and, uh, okay. it is a game looking to come out on the switch in early 2022 and it's called Fishing Paradiso or Paradiso. Um, okay. I, I love it. It is a fishing RPG. And it just gives okay. me vibes of um, like golf story, but with fishing. Yeah. And I fishing mean, is a very popular little side game in most RPG or not most, but a lot of our RPGs have fishing as a nice little side game and do you remember when we covered fishing games on the show? I mean, yep. fishing is a very popular kind of theme, it's so fun. this is pretty interesting. Fishing and golf are fun to play in video games. They just really are. Yeah. 
So I, I love the way it looks. I agree. Apparently, it is a um, it is a uh, a mobile game that is being ported okay. over essentially to the Switch. Uh, but as I've always said, I actually there's a lot of great mobile games out there. The problem is that they're riddled with you know free to play, and then you pay money and then buy coins and whatever. So this will just be hey, I get to pay my money, play a really cool fishing RPG. Like it. I'm excited about that one. I like it. That is really cool. I, I was playing Far Cry 6 the other day on a side note, and it has a fishing element in it now, too. <laughs> Does it really? Yeah. So, like, you can, you can do Far, you can wait, upgrade you Far your Cry fishing 3. rod. You can, what'd you say? You said Far Cry 3? Far Cry 6. The one oh, I'm playing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one I've been playing has, like, a fishing element now, and you can upgrade your fishing pole, your bait, all that kind of stuff. I just find it interesting that even a game like that is getting a fishing side game. Yeah, but they really are so fun. <laughs> That's yep. funny. All right. So, look at this. So, this is a Atari 8-bit first-person shooter. And if you look at the graphics, it's called Final Assault. If you look at the graphics on this, yes, they're pixelated. But look how smooth this runs for a an 8-bit first-person shooter. I, I was pretty amazed by this, and I haven't... There's, there's, I don't think it's out yet. I think it's just a little preview or something. Probably being co-processed with a Raspberry Pi or something like that, you know? No, it no. is not. This is just straight-up 8-bit Atari. And it'll run on any, any XL or any XE? I, from, what I, from what XL I gather, XE. yeah. Uh, we're on ad number two. Wow. I am, I'm so excited. The, the temptation or the uh, anticipation <laughs> is killing me. Uh, but first, I need to learn about Man, Bayer. I, I'm not sure that this news article is worth waiting for these ads. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there we go. But we're, anyway, you, we're up to footage you, you, here. Yeah, you should check this out. I mean, um, you can skip ahead a little bit here. But uh, the actual gameplay, I mean, yes, it's blurry and kind of pixelated, but as smooth as it runs on a regular standard. And I, I love the HUD down at the bottom where you can select your guns. I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of thought went into this and it looks like it's actually a playable first person shooter on an eight bit system, which listen, you see demos of this all the time, uh, but they're not really fun or playable. They're just like, Hey, look, you, it can be done. Yeah. This one actually looks like it might be kind of fun. I mean, this one it's collectible. You can find different weapons. You can find different, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be great or not, but so far the work being put into this looks like it's pretty cool. Yeah, it looks like they were able to probably make it happen by limiting the colors because it's like two right. or three shades of blue and white. Um, yep. But And did you see that? It even has a map. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it has a little overview map. The enemies are like little blobs. It's pretty, yeah. I mean, yeah, like you said, for, for a, an, a game that'll run on a stock standard atari xl pretty darn cool yeah wow. so i thought that was neat yeah i hadn't actually seen this ahead of time i was waiting for the for the show to hear you talk about it so color me impressed uh this now, was a fun is that one out yet anyway we uh, moved was, on but I, I i don't couldn't remember if it was out yet or not it says um ba -ba 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 -ba. Five weapons, 11 items, big boss, five interactive objects with great feedback for those who have played or seen the games in the video. Um, I don't, oh, wait, might be in that. Yeah, it looks like, oh, it does say released. It does say released. Oh, so it is. It's out already. 
Okay. Well, you know what? Now I'm going to click. You know, this is news, Eric, so we got to be up to date. So let me click on the source page here. Yeah. Uh, here it is. PAL and NTSC 64 KB machines. So don't come in here with, with no 16 KB garbage. And yeah, you can press play right here. It says, oh, that's the song. Now I'm pretty sure uh, this is available. Download? Here you go. Download. Let me see if I can download. There it is. XEX format. Download right here. It looks to be free. Perfect. Hopefully they'll accept a few uh, bucks that, for it if it's any good. That's pretty awesome. Cool. Uh, this is cool. Um, Sega Channel Revival Homebrew released. So we've played some uh, ROMs in the past, Eric. I'm, I think uh, where some of the, you know, over in Japan, uh, way before America was, was into any of this stuff, they had some services that you could subscribe to. Yeah. Um, like the Sega channel where you could actually download stuff via a modem to your Sega Genesis. And there's this little, you know, home screen GUI thing where you could like walk around a town. Uh, in fact, let me just play it right here. Um, and there's all these games that were either just being played over the Sega channel or, uh, were specific to the Sega channel. And so a lot of the, the games that emulate, um, those games, literally just to have a, a very basic GUI to get you into the game. But somebody actually basically took a snapshot somehow or recreated a snapshot of the original Sega channel and created a homebrew for it. And so now you can kind of hop in there and get the whole Sega channel experience uh, from quote unquote downloading games, going to di- different the different markets and things, and then playing the the Sega Channel games that you see a uh, Street Fighter here. There's an X Man game here. There's a I think this is Blades. Of, no, this is NHL. One of the NHL games. Um, here you can kind of see some of the GUI, right? Swords and spells. These are all games. You know, they're going through the for, through the menus and going through all all the options here. I, it's just pretty cool that they. Uh, Look at that. There's a picture of a Sega Genesis and Sonic playing with the cable. <laughs> I just think it's cool that they put this all together into one thing so that you can experience the Sega channel that most of us never did. So so next up on the docket, Konami is letting indie devs use its IPs for a game competition. Um, have you heard of this at all, Eric? I, I heard a little bit about it on a on some other podcast. I don't even remember what it was, but uh, I did find it pretty amazing that they would allow that. I think that's pretty neat. So yeah, there's kind of two ways to look at this. So if if you look at it, basically, um, here I'm reading this straight from PlayStationLifestyle.net, but uh, they're hosting an action and shooting game development contest. It's letting small indie developers use some of its popular classic IPs, such as the. Ganbari Goman series. I'm saying that wrong. Yeah. Gradius, Star Soldier, and more. Over 80 titles are available for indie devs to use during the contest. Um, here's the big kicker. The winning team gets a total of 2 million yen, Eric, which is about $17,990. <laughs> I'll take it. But here's the funny thing. If you think about it, right, that's cool, but at the same time, let's pretend you're Konami right now, right? You're putting right. out all of your classic, much-loved IPs and letting mm-hmm. a bunch of indie developers, who, by the way, are putting out much better stuff than Konami's put out in a long time, basically create games for your IPs for free. 
They're, yeah. Here, it's a contest. You go make the best game you can with our stuff. Um, furthermore, Konami will provide up to 30 million yen, which is $260,000, quite a bit more than the winning uh, amount of 18000 So why would they yeah. do that, Eric, unless they're planning on releasing these games and profiting from them? Correct. Um, as well as provide <laughs> production advice, promotional materials, development tools, even localization support to continue developing the winning title. So yeah, they're basically, they found a way to get um, a lot of potentially really good indie games made for a very small price and for their IPs. Yeah. I, I, kinda, I like both sides of it. As a consumer, if a bunch of cool classic Konami IPs get made, awesome. Just hoping that um, people aren't wasting their time making money for Konami. <laughs> and I wonder how many people are actually going to participate in this. Like the, you know, a lot of those franchises are, aren't the most popular things in the world. So, um, I mean, they're not bad. They're not bad games. I mean, Konami made a lot of really great games, but yeah, yeah you kind of wonder, well, okay. How many people are really going to participate in there when you only can win 17 grand? Yeah. And it's not life changing money or anything. And frankly, it probably doesn't even cover the cost of all the hours you spent making the game. Oh yeah. <laughs> If you come in second, uh, yeah, oh, maybe they'll get really dirty and they'll put their own winning title under a quote unquote indie developer so that no one actually wins the grand prize. Hmm. hmm? Uh, well, conspiracy is <laughs> afoot. Uh, the winner is an indie developer called Nokami. So, congratulations. <laughs> uh, we are on to the next item, Eric, and this one is you. Yeah, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this in particular, <laughs> but. Um, so windows XP turned 20 the other day, I think it was October or something. Um, and I wanted to get your thoughts or if you had played games on windows XP, because I have a lot of great memories of windows XP and it did last a long time. And the first real it job I had, I mean, we still had workstations running windows 95, windows 98, and then windows XP and, I don't have any more clients that run Windows XP, but not that long ago, a couple of years ago, I did still have a couple of these little hidden Windows XP systems running around. Like one was running a phone system and run one was still running like a printer that did wine labels for a client. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, people out there are still running Windows XP. Um, but I, I have very fond memories of Windows XP because it really wasn't a bad gaming system at all. Like, I remember I when I really really got into uh, PC gaming, my the platform that I really started and got into it was Windows XP. Hmm. But was there, I mean, this just shows how how dumb I am with that stuff. Did, it, the games weren't made specifically for Windows XP; they were just PC games, right? Well, they're oh. Windows games, but they could be optimized for XP. But uh, yeah, in general, you, you know, they're basically DOS games that ran in Windows XP, but installing video cards and yeah. and peripherals and stuff was much easier in XP. The plug and play, they finally, Microsoft finally got that kind of plug and play stuff right. So okay. really like, it, it, to me at least, the beginning of people starting to trick out their gaming platforms really kind of started in, in windows XP. My, I mean, only, it, it had, go ahead. The only thing I remember at windows XP is exactly what we're looking at now, which is the, uh, bog standard b- desktop background that came with it, which is this big green field with blue cloudy sky. That was yeah. the, that was the XP background. And I had it on my computer in college 
And then a few years later, I got the computer we're recording this podcast on now, Eric, with Windows 7, I believe, still running on it. <laughs> so I don't know. How old is Windows 7 now? That's my question. It's, it's getting up there. But yeah, um, Windows XP was was around for a very long time, though. And I remember playing some of the best games like Command and Conquer and Age of Empires and Interstate 76. I mean, I remember running those games on Windows XP and just really it 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 made it, for me at least it made a very nice pc gaming platform so what when windows xp i guess i never thought of it this way but what it is for me it was college cuz i got my brand new windows xp computer at the time it was an hp pavilion and yeah. uh you know it was it was when all computers were crazy colors so it was kind of like this blue slate translucent gray um yeah and I went to college with that, and that was the uh, that was the heyday of um, when well, we went through all of them, right? Um, it was right after Napster got shut down, so it was like Mozilla, and then Kazaa, and then LimeWire, <laughs> and all yeah. the stuff that all us college kids just downloaded everything. So, uh, I right. would, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say that I I played um, uh, Half Life on a yeah. on a downloaded Windows XP uh, version. Um, yeah. Plenty of music, plenty of uh, movies were downloaded on Windows XP. All of my Dreamcast collection at the time was downloaded on Windows XP uh, using nice. Kazaa uh, and burnt to discs. Um, so, yeah, I guess Windows XP was my pirate days. That's when I was a dirty Perfect. pirate, Eric. Those are those are great <laughs> memories. <laughs> right? Arg. And actually, um, and actually I, a, game, I, a game we're going to talk about later in the show I, I played on Windows XP. So we'll get there. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to tip my hat, raise my mug, raise my mug to uh, to Bill Windows XP. to Windows XP, Windows XP. You, you know, Dude. people criticize it a lot, but after cool. Service Pack Two, it was pretty secure, pretty stable. Secure. I thought it, I thought it was. I, I thought it was a great operating system. Secure so and stable, like a warm blanket. <laughs> <laughs> um. Hey, Eric, my next topic is simply titled Holy Amstrad Batman. Wow. So okay. I, w- I was on Indie Retro News. Let me just open okay. all these real quick. One. Oh, wait, I can't. Won't let me do them all real quick like that. Two. So basically, I was on Indie Retro News and I just started realizing yeah. like tons and tons of Amstrad CPC stuff came out, which I've always been wanting more Amstrad stuff because Tim sent me my Amstrad. I love that thing, but there's like no new software for it. Okay. And holy Amstrad, Batman, there's a ton. I'm like, there must be a, a dev competition. So I looked into it, and sure enough, that's why all these games are coming out. Um, so I'll go, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, I'll go through them really quick. The Amstrad is really, graphically, if no one's seen an Amstrad, super vibrant colors. Um, mm-hmm. Very chunky. It, I, I feel like it almost has a lower resolution than like the Commodore 64. But they yeah. just feel more um, chunky. They, it, it almost looks like actually looks very much like Pico Eight, honestly. Sure, I'd say the I Amstrad the looks yeah, yeah, very much like Pico Eight. Um, but a lot of the games never felt right when I was going through them and playing them. So I'm hoping these new ones feel better. But uh, so I'll just go through them real quick. Shovel Adventure is a high quality arcade game released for the Amstrad uh, by the Pat Morita team. And it looks like a cool, um, here, this like Indiana Jones looking guy and there's sarcophaguses and you're like inside of a pyramid. It looks like mummies going around. That looks super fun. Uh, Wireware is a run and gun released for the Amstrad. And it almost looks like, um, 
it almost has like a space quest vibe. You almost you look like Roger Wilco in this white suit in space with a laser yeah. gun. Um, I can see that. That also looks really cool. Uh, Wrecking Ball is a new breakout style arcade game, and it looks that like looks Breakout. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I can yep. see that being a good one. Um, Survive the Week is a sim style game released by Carlos Perezgrin, and it does yeah. look like uh, little computer people. It does. Almost it does. Like, like Pico 8 little computer people. Uh, <laughs> we've got comic uh, Cosmic Gatlin, which is a running gun. Yeah. I actually saw some video of this. It's actually kind of cool. It's like a, um, to me, it says running gun, but really it's almost like a shooter where there's three planes that you can be on top, middle, or bottom. Um, okay. Let me let's see the gameplay here. I watched it real quick. Here you go. So top, middle, top, middle, bottom. Middle, so you're shooting guys, and they sometimes leave behind like power ups or coins or something. I can see myself getting down on this game. Yeah. Um, and then the last one I had on here is one called Amstrad, not Amstrad, Amstrad as in red, because it's a bloody game. And I love yeah. the colors. It, it, you know, a lot of the um, kind of low low pixel. Uh, kind of quick shooter switch games and stuff that you see now are black and white with just red, like one highlight color that's and right. red. Uh, yeah. And that's what this is. Avoid being splattered into giblets in this new Amstrad game by Krakendev. Um, so, it, yeah, it's like a, it's almost like an arena game. Not an arena shooter, but an arena avoid everythinger. Yeah, and like, is it like almost like a flick screen, like some of those isometric or like those uh, zx spectrum kind of uh yeah yeah like top like down a, a tick attack <laughs> a tick attack yeah a tick attack <laughs> cool yeah so i'm i'm gonna get my amstrad out um i haven't used that thing in quite a while in large part because my monitor is on the fritz so fix the monitor get my amstrad out play all these games i can't wait looks cool boom um oh i'm on the next one here yeah. So, this is a patch that was released for Doom on the 32X. Yeah. Um, and I just thought it was cool that somebody released a patch that says Resurrection Patch for Doom 32X. Now, Doom 32X is known for, you know, it was supposed to be this bridge gap between the Genesis and the Saturn that was coming out. And everyone was doing 3D and Genesis, you know, Sega didn't want to get left behind. So, they had Doom released on 32X and it was this tiny little postage stamp sized uh image of doom in the center of the screen <laughs> right uh so amongst a bunch of other cool things i think the main thing uh that this patch does and you can see it here here's the postage stamp you can see how much how much of the, the uh surrounding screen is unused in order to make doom playable right. um yeah. so if you fast forward here beep 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 you will see right here, you'll see the transition, right, between the postage stamp and then here's the new version of it with the patch, which everything is going to open up and you're going to see everything full screen. Um, there it is. Oh, wow. So no more window yeah, box. Yeah, got rid of the kind of hut. Yeah. And I guess there's a bunch of other programming cool. tricks and stuff that they added in there so that, like the PC version of the game, um, there's some... AI and some things that just didn't happen in the 32X version. So, if you've got a 32X and you've always wanted to play Doom on that 32X, but you hated the version they had, now you've got a solution. 
Yeah, I, I, that's definitely not my go-to version of Doom, the 32X <laughs> version. But but I will say, I mean, the 32X is one of the very rare stories I have where I went into a local place and there was something I really wanted. And this was a long time ago. I went to Davis and in that little comic book store in the back, the guy was selling a 32X for like 40 bucks. And it had all the cables and everything. So, nice. which is always the hard part with the 32X was mm-hmm. uh, getting those little cables going. And man, I, once I got that, I was like, oh man, I got the 32X. And then I didn't have any games for it. So I just sat there for a long time. Um, but this looks looks like a, like it's, a, it's comparable to the regular versions of Doom that actually run more full screen. Yeah, the 32X is really interesting. Um, I'm sure you know, but maybe you don't, so I'll explain it anyways. But it really is literally, um, you have to have a power supply for the 32X and for the Genesis. Yep. And you literally right. take the video signal from the Genesis, which is creating a video of basically the background... And then it goes to the 32X, which is quite literally putting a, another layer over the top of the background that Genesis is creating, and then outputting both of those video signals to your TV. So really, the 32X needs those cables because you're taking the video signal from the Genesis, feeding it to the 32X, which mixes that video signal with the one it's making, and then outputs it. It is hokey. Right. I mean, it is a leech. <laughs> Yeah, it is very weird, and it's, like, prone to you losing the cables. So you often find 32Xs in the wild with no cables, which is, then it's useless. Uh-huh. Um, it's it, it's not an easy thing to get, but... And, you know, and, and when, depending then, on what then model... When you get it, there's only, a handful, there's only a handful of games that came out for the 32X. Some are pretty cool, though. Some are pretty cool. Some are and cool. You have to, yeah. And you have to get the little adapters, if you, if you, depending if you have a Model 1 or a Model 2. Otherwise, it won't sit flush yeah. against your Genesis. That's right. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite games on the 30, uh, 32X is uh, the original Star Wars arcade game. That's, yeah. It's fantastic on the 32X. Absolutely. Cool. So this next one is one I knew you would love. Um, <laughs> it is, it, while, and, and maybe you'll give this some credit, um, it's not just a straight port. It is a port of Galaxian, but they did add a couple of... Uh, cool features and one of the coolest ones i think is that they added two simultaneous player to galaxy to, to what system this is to the commodore 64 okay so galaxian so didn't exist called, on the this is called galaxian dx for the commodore 64 no yeah. it didn't have an actual um from what i understand it didn't have an official galaxian port a lot of people made clones of it um, you know, a lot of companies just said, uh, you know, they just disregarded any kind of copyright license or anything and made their own versions of Galaxian. But this one is uh, obviously it's not official, but it's more to the actual game. And but he did add like s- some cool stuff like two player. So nice. Um, I've been really wanting to try this with like, uh, a, w- you know, with simultaneous two player mode. I think that would be really cool co-op mode yep and he's added a lot of other stuff to it too so i mean i don't want to say it's just a straight port it's actually almost a yeah there's almost you can a do, re, revamped version you can do a speed run and attempt yep. attempt to clear the first stage in the fastest time possible current record is 50.22 seconds by eric Ackerson. aggression 
When the swarm is almost clear, they will switch to ultra-aggressive mode and continually attack with erratic movements and loop-the-loops. Yes. Now, this is a very important quick question, Eric. Do you call it loop-the-loop or loop-de-loops? I call them loop-de-loops. They're loop-de-loops. What's this loop-the-loops stuff? I have no idea. Nonsense, I I tell you. Um, hey, more Doom news, Eric. Did you know that there was... <laughs> That's what we need. Did you know that there were other things that people have not ported Doom to yet? No. no. Well, now Doom has been ported to Twitter. Sweet. Um, and it's funny because it's uh, Tweet to Doom. is actually a new Twitter bot that started up in September of this year. And you can play through the, the original game of Doom using a series of commands. How exciting is that, Eric? Those commands are translated to the bot, and you are sent back a video showing you what happened. (laughs) Oh, jeez. So it's like turn-based doom on Twitter. Uh, I'm I'm reading this article (laughs) off of Kotaku, by the way. Check our show notes. Um, I also heard recently, and I don't think it happened recently, but uh, doom also was uh, ported to the BBC Micro, which I'm a little surprised. I'm a little surprised it hadn't made it there already, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I would be interested to see how it looks on the BBC Micro. I might have to boot mine up. Does it need any kind of special upgrade, do you know? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You'll have to, you'll have to report we'll have back to next episode, Eric. Exactly. I'll pull my BBC Micro out from Tim. Give it a shot. Another one from our buddy over there at Retro RGB. The Forever Pack Nintendo 64 memory card was created. Okay. It's a brand new line of Nintendo 64 memory cards. Um, unlike the originals, they do not rely on a battery. They contain your save games and have the potential to last a long, long time. And they come in uh, translucent green, looks like a purple, a blue, and your uh, Nintendo 64 gray. And they're 30 bucks. Um, but I know those original you know, memory cards lose game saves all the time because batteries run out. So if you don't want yeah. to worry about that anymore, 30 bucks will get you a brand new uh, pack with, I guess they don't know what, instead of a battery, they must use um, flash RAM or something, whatever you call it. Something, yeah. Yeah, huh. something. Interesting. They I definitely mean, the use price, something. The price isn't, yeah, the price isn't bad on there either. 30 bucks. Yeah, 30 bucks. I mean, that's not that bad if you're really into N64. Yeah, that's an option for you. Cool. So this next one is something I thought was really neat. It is a Kickstarter, which I know some people don't like, but it is nonetheless. It's already reached its goal. Oh, man, when I saw this last time, it hadn't reached its goal yet. So that's nice. Um, It is a documentary that is called The Rubber Keyed Wonder. And it is about 40 years of the Sinclair ZX Spectrum. Sounds better than Uh, the Dead Flesh Wonder. (laughs) exactly (laughs) and uh did you ever watch bedrooms to billions i you know i tried to watch that the other day because at one point it was on amazon prime and i cannot find it now except for to pay like 20 bucks to buy it and i just really wanted to watch it for two or three bucks somewhere you know but no i have not yeah i have not it's great i i really enjoyed that and uh so it's made by the same people okay and i haven't funded this yet just because i've been a little down on kickstarter lately um but it looks pretty cool. And, and I, I ZX Spectrum is one that I, I always find very interesting, like the whole subject of the ZX Spectrum, ZX Spectrum, which we talk about all the time on the show because I love the system. I love the games. Um, 
And I, I do like how it kind of in ways parallels the history of systems that were here in the U S like the Commodore 64, but it, it deviates from it quite a bit too. So, um, you know, I, 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 I just find it a fascinating system. So, I mean, I would, I really look forward to when this documentary comes out and I will probably grab it. Um, I don't know if I'll kickstart it, but they usually sell these things or let, let you watch them on Netflix or whatever afterwards. So yeah, I think that's pretty neat. By the time this episode comes out on the 15th, there'll be about five days left on this and they've already crushed their goal. So yeah. Awesome. $20,000 over their goal. Pretty much. Yeah. They're at, they were, they're hoping for a very specific 46,936, which I'm sure is just an exchange rate thing. But did you know, I didn't, I guess I didn't realize this. You said you watched bedrooms to billions. Did you watch the other two? Because you did, you watched all three. I have not watched all three yet. Um, what were those other ones? Um, it says Bedrooms to Billions Trilogy. Yeah, I have not. I've only seen the original one. Yep. On my birthday, I'm going to force my wife to watch all of them with me. Just watch her oh, eyes glaze over. <laughs> oh, man. Let her be free, man. Let her be free. Um, couple items here we want to talk about before we move on. Uh, first yeah. one is if you have a Jaguar game drive, which I do, mm-hmm. uh, from Retro HQ, there has been a firmware release, which that is exciting. Man, I want to get my Jaguar out. I have so many systems that I haven't played for two months that are just killing me not to play right now. Um, few new options. Uh, looks like the, the homebrew API ability to lock a homebrew game to a specific cart, um, there's also, again, I'm reading from Retro RGB here to help me out. So just letting you guys know that in full disclosure. Um, trying to see what else there was on here. But, uh, you know, I don't want to sit here and just read this live on air. But it is cool. <laughs> it is cool that there's updates, you know, some bug fix, fixes. The homebrew, homebrew API seems to be a big thing. I'm not entirely sure what that is right now. Support for cart or memory card locked homebrew releases. Um, some more debug stuff. Uh, fixed them an SD RAM startup issue, a couple things like that, but um, very cool device. Awesome that it's being maintained, and I still haven't been able or haven't taken the time to figure out how to how to load the Jaguar CD games on it, which I really want to do. Um, yeah, which a big part of the reason I want that is because most of those games are the the new homebrew stuff that's been released for the Jaguar. So that'll be very cool. cool. And um oh this one's uh this one's all you Eric. More so bad news. For, huh? uh, yeah, this is for this is good news for people who love bad news. <laughs> um Steam Deck delayed until next year for two more months. So oh, based on our updated build estimates, Steam Deck will start shipping February twenty twenty two instead of by Christmas. I think they wanted by Christmas, right? Oh bummer. Um, so, yep, it is delayed. I didn't pre-order this. Did you pre-order it? I didn't. I didn't, but I do. I, know. I, I thought, I know we, you want one, and so do yeah. I. And we we went in-depth on this um, a couple episodes back about all the different options. We talked about which ones we'd want to get and stuff like that. I could see me getting one down the road for sure. I mean, I think it's really, really cool, but... Just a word of advice for anybody listening. If you look at something that's coming out, it's going to be late. <laughs> well, yeah, right now, chip shortages and everything. Yeah. 
every single thing that I have seen, every single electronic thing has been delayed. Everything. Yep. Like I, I, oh, yeah. I have so I have a couple of things kickstarted. I've got a couple of things like the Amico on order. It is all delayed. The world is a dumpster fire right now. So that's all there is to it. So hey, a big part of what I do for, for work is selling drives for motors and they are all weeks and weeks and weeks back ordered right now. So yeah, it's fun uh, getting yelled at by every customer all at the same time, even though they apologize later saying they know it's not my fault, but they still want to yell at me about it. So fun yeah. stuff. Uh, yep. one last item on here, Eric, I don't even have a link. I just wanted to bring it up cause I saw it right before we started the show and I know we had talked yeah. about it recently, but, uh, they released a grand theft auto, a GTA collection for the switch. Have you seen and that? They haven't released it. I don't think they've released it yet. Right. Oh, I thought it came out. Let me do a quick bit of Googling I think right it's, here. It was either going to come out soon or maybe it is out digitally, but I know it's not out physically yet. So, um, I would love to get it uh, the physical version oh, of this yeah. if there is a physical version. Oh, you know what? Because of GTA, in, I've got to put I've got to put my uh, my birthday in here. <laughs> Your so, fake birthday. <laughs> yeah. So according to uh, Nintendo, I'm, I was born in 1921. 1921. Uh, there the it is. Definitive edition. Yeah, there it is. Sixty it's bucks. You, you can buy it right now digitally. But, but you can buy the digital version. Yeah. yeah. Uh, from what I understand, there is going to be a physical version eventually. Um. And I think that would be pretty cool to get. I mean, look at that file game size. Woo! That's gonna take a take a while to download. Twenty five gigabits. Yeah, twenty five um, gigabits. But Grand Theft Auto Three, Vice City, and San Andreas, which yeah. uh, those games that you told me about your 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 youth, your past. Yeah, I should say your your young adult life. Um, yep. We spent a lot of time with those. So I actually, I did hear uh, a few negative reviews about this particular release, though. So hopefully, it's something they can fix. I don't know what it was. There is that. And that is uh, what we like to call the news, Eric. Yay! Um, At this point in the show, uh, we want to make sure you guys, uh, once again, head on over to our sponsor, RetroRewind.ca forward slash PixelGuideN. Yes. For all of uh, your Commodore needs, Eric. Yep. Are you uh, one of those kind of guys who likes to do things yourself? I do. Well, you know, you you can get a cap kit and replace all the caps, and he sells cap kits for all the Commodore machines. Or, let's say you're not. Let's say you don't like to do that kind of stuff, or you don't have time. Send it to Frank. He'll do it. He will do a cap job on your machine. And he does high-quality work, and he has a really, really fast turnaround. But let's say you're uh, just really, so, like like Eric first taught me when I got my Commodore 64. First thing you want to do is just take all the chips out and reset them. And if that doesn't fix it, you can start swapping things out. Maybe you have a bad PLA. Well, guess up. Which is common. For $17, you can hop over here to RetroRewind.ca forward slash PixelGuideN and buy a neat PLA, which is a recreated PLA chip as well as a number of other chips for your Commodores. Uh, even for your Amiga, you can get an RGB to HDMI adapter. I'm going to be buying this, Eric. I want my Amiga to be able to connect to my flat screen. Yeah, um, I think I'm going to do that to my 600. I think I'm going to do the same thing. Yep. So I think I am going to be picking that up. So if you guys hop on there and use discount code PG10, not only will you save 10%, but by going to retrorewind.ca forward slash pixelguiden, he uh, realizes that we sent him 
you know, we sent you guys to him. And uh, maybe, maybe you know, maybe we get a discount ourselves, and so I can get myself an HDMI adapter because I want maybe. one of those. Yeah, absolutely. So we want to thank our sponsor, RetroRewind.ca. And don't worry that it's in Canada. They uh, ship yeah. quick, and uh, it's probably faster than shipping from within the United States right now. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll be talking about that next episode. I've got some horror stories to deliver. Well, Eric, I think it's time to hear from you solo in a new episode of Eric's Sake. On this month's Eric's Take, I wanted to cover video game systems that I did not have as a kid, but got to play. And I still have pretty good memories of those, some a little sketchier than others, but I uh, wanted to cover those. Um, As I've mentioned many times on the show, uh, growing up, I had uh, really four systems that I played games on, not including handheld systems. I had a in the late 70s, I had a Coleco Telstar Ranger system, uh, which is kind of a Pong system. Um, I had a Commodore VIC-20, and then shortly after that, I had a Commodore 64, uh, which was my main gaming platform. And I, I played games on that thing for probably a decade. Uh, and then I also, my family had an Atari 5200, which I shared with my sisters and um and that was it. Those are the consoles we owned and played at home. And uh, it wasn't until after I left the house that eventually I got a PC to play games on, as well as like a Super Nintendo and then a PlayStation 1 and et cetera, et cetera. But those are the ones I had as a kid living at home. Uh, but the consoles that I did not have but had an opportunity to play, um, my earliest memory of those was a... Um, my friend Jesse, which I've mentioned a few times on the show, uh, we, we, uh, both had Atari 5200s and would play games, uh, with that. He had before that had a Sega master system, and this would have been right around when I was in sixth grade. Um, and so I saw that I saw a Sega master system before I ever even saw like a Nintendo entertainment system. Uh, in fact, I, to this, I mean, I, did not know a single kid that had a Nintendo Entertainment System. When I tell people that, they're pretty amazed because uh, they were, you know, they sold a lot here and they were all over the place. But I didn't know a single kid that had one. But my friend Jesse did have a Sega Master System. And when we first became friends, I remember going over to his house uh, just a few times and playing that system and he had received the Sega master system from one of his cousins. Um, and then he ended up giving it to another cousin eventually. So I didn't have access to it anymore, but I do remember that that system was the first, uh, game system at home. I played choplifter on, uh, it was a really good version of choplifter. I thought back in the day and enjoyed that very much. Um, and then I remember zillion and, Zillion was a game that I revisited not that long ago, a couple of years ago. I think we discussed it on the show uh, once or twice. But Zillion, I didn't know at the time, but it was based on an anime um, that Sega 
uh, had a tie-in with and created Zillion. And Zillion was kind of like almost, I don't know, like a Metroid kind of style space platformer before there was Metroid. And uh, it, it's a it's a pretty well-reviewed game. And, and if you ever get a chance to t- check it out, one of the little pieces of trivia about the game Zillion is that there is a... A laser gun that you use, a laser pistol that you use in the game, which they modeled the Zapper. Uh, well, I don't think it's on the Sega system. It's called the Zapper, but the light gun that uh, I think it was called the light phaser on the Master System uh, was designed after the gun in Zillion. So I thought that was an interesting thing, but I remember playing that game quite a bit. For a Sega Master System game, it was a pretty in-depth game. Um and then I remember playing Alien Syndrome, which was a um, Sega franchise game that looked was like an, an arena shooter, pretty much. So in the style of something like a Gauntlet or a Robotron, um, but it was um, it, it was a lot more. I don't know how to. I mean, more elaborate in the graphic systems as well as the sound than than most of those other ones. Um, it was, it was, I remember it. I I haven't played it in a long time, but I do remember really enjoying it. And it was one of our go-to games on that Sega master system. Then the other one I wanted to mention was the Atari 2600. Um, I didn't have one, but I know someone in my neighborhood did, and I can't remember that someone I know there was a friend on the street who was named Mike. It might've been him, but my memory is very fuzzy on that. Um, but I do remember he had the old, old wood, you know, not the newer model 2600, like the 2600 Junior or, or the ones that looked more like the 5200. This one was the old school woody style with wood paneling on the sides. It might have been a heavy sixer. And I do remember, I only remember playing two games on that, and that was Combat, which we had hours and hours of fun with that. And I still really, really like Combat. Very simple g- game. Um, simple mechanics where there, but there are a lot of different game modes. Some you fly planes or helicopters and some you're running around in tanks. Um, but it's pretty much just a chase and shoot kind of, uh, game. I love combat even to this day, but I do remember playing that. And I do remember playing the very basic space invaders. Um, and that was pretty much it. I didn't know anyone else that had an Atari 2600. Again, that's kind of a weird thing because everyone seemed to have an Atari 2600, um, now that same friend, Jesse, that I had with the Sega Master System, I, we had many adventures riding our bikes, probably about, I don't know, 10 or 15 miles to the mall. There's a mall here in the Sacramento area called Arden Mall. And there was a Toys R Us uh, in the same parking lot. And we would go to Toys R Us and look at all the video games. I bought a lot of my video games uh, there. But I do remember us always gravitating towards the Intellivision system. Um, And neither of us had it, and we didn't know anyone else who had one, but we loved, and for a while they had B-17 Bomber on the the demo machine there, and we would play B-17 Bomber every time we'd go there until they changed it to baseball. And I remember being very disappointed in that. We still played it. We still played baseball, but... B-17 Bomber was, if you think about the time era back then, uh, speech synthesis wasn't that that big of a deal. I mean, it, it was a big deal, but it wasn't that prevalent in games. 
and listening to B-17 Bomber and listening to all the voice uh, stuff in that just blew our minds. And we were both really into um, airplane games and we would draw airplanes and, you know, things like that. We were just very much into fighter planes and things like that. So playing a game like B-17 Bomber was just mind-blowing. And I just remember every time we'd go, we'd always check in to see if they'd changed the game back to B-17 Bomber uh, after they took it out, and they, they never did. But And neither of, us, never, neither of us got a Intellivision until I recently got one just maybe a couple years ago and loved the system. Such a fantastic system. Um, the next memory was was an odd one. It was my neighbors had a cousin that lived somewhere else. And I remember they were going to go visit their cousin. His name was Marcus. And so I said, hey, I want to go. And my parents let me go with them. And we drove across town and went to his cousin's house. And his cousin, his cousin's dad, more precisely, had an Atari 1200XL. And at that point, I had never seen an Atari computer. Uh, I had seen the gaming systems, but not the computer. So I must have taken that trip a couple of times. Uh, not very many, but I do remember going over there at least twice. It probably was more. And the games that really resonated with me was Bruce Lee, which later on, I on my Commodore 64, I acquired and still love that to each day. It's a little platformer where you play as Bruce Lee and you fight a little ninja and a green Yamo. And uh, it's one of my favorite games even to this day. I also remember playing Moon Patrol, which I had played already on the Atari 5200. And so it was pretty much identical. Those two systems, they were identical. But the game that really sat with me uh, and and I eventually got on my Commodore 64 because I loved it so much was Mule. Uh, Mule is a game uh, almost like a board game, but on a computer. And it is where you acquire resources to basically beat your opponents. And there is this really nifty auction system in there if you haven't played Mule. Um, it's been a while since I've played it too, so I don't I, I, I don't want to butcher a description of it but it is a must play if you have an 8-bit system more than likely mule is on there it was very popular on, on atari 8-bits commodore 64 uh, i think it made it to i think there's even one on the original nintendo system uh but you owe yourself to to play mule it is a fantastic game um and that's i can't remember any more on that atari 1200 but that also coincidentally, was the very first Atari computer I'd ever seen. And so I remember uh, his dad letting us take the, he had a book that had basic programs in it. And we got to tinker with um, the basic that was on the Atari and write little programs and this and that. Uh, and I had a blast doing that. It was similar to my experience on my own VIC-20 and Commodore 64. And then the last system I'm going to talk about is uh, the Amiga, because that happened later in high school. Um, I wasn't playing as much games. I was actually skateboarding and doing high school stuff. But I had a couple of friends who got Amigas. And I was still rocking the Commodore 64. I rocked that thing until after high school. Uh, I graduated high school in 1989. And I remember uh, I, I kept using that thing until I got a PC around 1993, 94, something like right around there. Uh, so I was I just hung on to the Commodore 64, uh, but I did have a couple of friends that, in high school that got Amigas. Uh, one had an Amiga 1200, 
and the other one ended up having a an Amiga. I you know I think it was a three thousand that was put into a tower case because I know the three thousand is more of the pizza box format, but it, I, I remember it being in a tower. So he must have got a mod or or whatever to put that inside of a tower. But anyway, I remember the games very clearly that we played a lot, and that was the first play, first time I had ever played Perfect General, which is a war game, one of my favorite war games of all time. I don't play a lot of war games anymore because I don't have time, but Perfect General was one that was really easy to approach, not complicated at all, um, and had a lot of very basic mechanics that you find in a lot more elaborate war game systems, but... Uh, Basically, just had looked like a, a tactical map, and you moved your units around, whether they were soldiers or tanks or whatever. Um, but I loved it there, and eventually, when I got into PC, I got Perfect General Two on my PC, and I remember loving that, playing it a lot. Uh, the other one was Cannon Fodder, um, which still to this day is probably my favorite Amiga game of all time. Um, I love that. It, it may very well be the first game that I played with a mouse where it made sense to play with a mouse, if, if that makes sense. Um, I, 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 I love that game, and I still, whenever I boot up my Amiga, it's one of my go-to games, play it all the time. Oddly enough, I've never beaten it, so I really should sit down and try to beat that game. In fact, I'm going to add that to my list of uh, classic games I've been meaning to beat over the years. And then another one was Chaos Engine, and um, I, I remember playing that with a friend uh, quite a bit and really enjoying it. That is a top-down kind of game where you're going from screen to screen and and basically just trying to get through these kind of maze-like uh, levels. Uh, a lot of fun. And the, the graphics for that day and age when I first played Chaos Engine, it was probably the best graphics of any game I had seen on a home system. I mean, it was just amazing. But anyway, so those are the games I played as a kid, but never didn't have those game consoles. And um, I had to rack my brain because, I mean, my memories are fading of those days because it was so long ago. But I do remember those systems uh, and and think about them from time to time. And now I, I think I have all of these systems in one form or another. So exploring their libraries is kind of a treat for me. And what it really goes back that it really is the reason I am into retro gaming. Well, I, I've never been into it for collectability or to resell things for money or value or anything like that. The reason I do it is because I do remember looking through magazines and pouring through articles and seeing the game systems my friends had and really enjoying it. But now as an adult and in a collector, I do it because I want to play these systems. I want to explore these libraries I missed as a kid. And I, I am constantly in awe of the quality of some of the games on these systems. And it really is the reason I do what I do and I, I love it. So that's why I never sell my systems. I have, I keep everything I buy um, and, and I don't regret it. They take up a lot of room, uh, but I don't regret it. Anyway, thanks for listening to Eric's Take this month. I appreciate it. And I will see you next month. Cody Connor. 
Hey guys, and welcome to Cody's Corner. It's good to be back. I haven't done one of these in a few months because it's been crazy around here. Um, but Cody's Corner this month is going to be on, essentially, um, what I am looking into collecting uh, that's affordable. Now that um, things have gotten so expensive, and uh, as you guys probably know at this point in the show... Um, I have moved into the new house. I have my new game room set up. Finally got everything unboxed uh, for the most part. And I'm looking at my wall right now and it has most of my computers and systems displayed nicely so I can see them. I still have some fine tuning to do, but um, I'm kind of looking at things here. And, you know, there are, of course, still things as a collector that I want to get. But if you listen to the show regularly, you probably already know that Eric has kind of... uh, influenced me to not be a collector for games themselves. I want to be a collector of things that are unique. So systems, primarily, um, of which I have a new system over here, which I'll be talking about next month on our Catching Up segment with Eric and Tim. Very excited to tell you guys about that one. But, uh, you know, for example, instead of having 400 Nintendo NES games, I pared it down to a few, like a handful of games that are, um, essential to the system, you know, and I focused on uh, kind of getting different systems, physical hardware with a few games each, and then a flashcard. And that's kind of how I'm collecting. Um, I am blessed uh, to be able to have the collection I have, and I'm at the point now where if I want to add much more in terms of hardware to my systems, uh, they're all going to be very expensive, and it's going to be hard for me to, um, you know, really make sense to you know spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a system i don't have especially because it's not going to be a very um you know it's not gonna be one i'm going to want to play very much at this point because i've got you know a good amount of those so looking over here I, I i see some holes in my wall and some stuff i could fill in and i just wanted to kind of run through what i'm thinking about uh moving forward so the first thing and i've kind of started this is uh, the Japanese versions of systems I already have because they're so unique. The hardware is physically different, and sometimes there's different attributes to those systems as well. So, uh, for example, one I do have, of course, is the American uh, NES, Nintendo Entertainment System, and I just picked up uh, a few months back the Famicom, the Japanese uh, version of it, and I had to do a little tweaking with it and get it working. I let the the black smoke out, um, blue smoke out, whatever you want to call it, and I uh, had, to, had to replace a fuse on the board there because I used the wrong power supply. Long story short, I've got the Japanese um, Famicom. And why is that cool? Well, first of all, it's got the really cool, colorful cartridges that come from Japan. Uh, very different, completely different looking. It's a top-loaded system. It's, um, you know, beige and maroon instead of being black, gray, and dark gray. Um, but having all those game cartridges lined up is like a rainbow of colors. Very cool. But another thing it has is, uh, instead of, you know, of course, a smaller 60-pin chips rather than the 72-pin that the NES has, but it's also got the sound chip that allows for um, an extra audio channel, which some games take advantage of, including what, you know, most people know is Castlevania 3, I believe, uh, has, you know, a more full sound because it's got, uses that extra FM channel on the... um, on the uh, Famicom. So that's a cool thing to have. It looks cool. It's different and worth having. 
What I don't have yet is the Japanese, or if you want to say the European version of the Super Nintendo, which um, looks completely different than the US version of the Super Nintendo. Uh, I'll likely get the Japanese one, uh, most likely cheaper, and it's going to be 60 hertz, so it will play on all of my American televisions. I do have one PAL television, but <clears throat> no use putting extra hours on that if I don't have to. But I'd love to get that. Uh, you know, the cartridges are different. They come in different packaging. So it'd be cool to get the the Super Famicom, is what they call it, of course, in Japan, and uh, some of the games that go with it. I already have some of the games, um, so just want the system itself. And, of course, the controllers themselves, instead of having the four purple buttons, have the, you know, M&Ms or Skittles-looking buttons with rainbow colors on there. Um, you know, if you wanted to, you can get different versions of the systems. I already have the Genesis, you know, 1, 2, and 3, all three versions of the Genesis. I don't have a Sega CD yet. I'm going to have to pick that up um, one of these days. Uh, the Master System has two versions. Uh, because of Tim, a fellow showmate, I was lucky enough to have him send me over a Sega Master System 2, the second version of that, uh, which is the one I grew up with, the only system I ever sold and regretted it. Uh, so I have that back. I'm excited about that. Um, but what you know, what are some other other import systems that little di- look a little different that I should get? Uh, in fact, I'm looking at one right now. I have my TurboGrafx-16. Well, the PC Engine, although it has gone up in price is a very different looking beast than the TurboGrafx-16. Has different controller ports. It is much, much smaller and uh, has a few different accessories that that TurboGrafx doesn't utilize. So that'd be a cool one to get as well. Um, Can't think of any more off the top of my head, but I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Um, Any other ideas about things like that I could... uh, pick up and kind of have because i really have but i'm kind of have like a museum thing going on here um again i don't want to have a whole bunch of carts that never get used i want different systems and i will use the different systems um i've probably played every single one of these systems here within the last at least within the last two years uh but most of them definitely within the last year Uh, but another thing i was thinking about and this kind of got me kicked off here was uh some of kind of unique accessories or unique games that um, are hardware specific. So, for example, on the NES, uh, the Codemasters came, games that came over here in the U.S. came on this little Aladdin. They called it the, uh, the Aladdin, and it's this little um, device that bypassed the region locking on the NES. So then you could plug in their cartridges. Um, I'd love to have that because it, it is a hardware thing. Yeah, I could play the games just via a flash cart, but it's cool to have that hardware, um, unique hardware. For the for the Genesis, there's a Micro Machines game that has two controller ports in the cartridge, so you can play four-player Micro Machines. That is cool. I'm going to want to get that. Um, I already have, there's some cool stuff for the Dreamcast. I already have, uh, Eric uh, gave me the fishing controller, which is really neat, uh, and there's a number of games. There's actually five or six games fishing games on there and i'd say at least three that are definitely worth picking up um marine fishing and sega bass fishing um and there's a japanese one that's really cool but that use that fishing controller there's also a keyboard for the dreamcast and it really only has i think one or two games but typing to the dead is supposed to be really good it's actually really kind of tongue-in-cheek and funny and you have to have the dreamcast keyboard it'd be fun to have just that peripheral um and the Dreamcast is known, it actually has a lot of shmups. It is a great shmup system. 
uh, shoot 'em ups, if you want to call them that. And uh, so there's a really solid, uh, has green buttons, uh, joystick for the Dreamcast. I would love to get that joystick. Um, I also know that the Dreamcast has a lot of the a lot of the games that have been making its way onto the Neo Geo, and you know, you know, two thousand dollar carts. Uh, you know, they've they've been putting out thirty, forty dollar versions of it on the Dreamcast lately. These are newer games coming out for the Dreamcast. A lot of them are shoot 'em ups, and would be great with that controller. It's always uh, good and cool to have light guns for a lot of these systems. I have it for the NES, uh, the Master System. Uh, if you listened to the show recently, I even found one recently without knowing it for the 3DO, which is really cool and unique. I haven't tried it out yet. I need to get that. Uh, I need to get that going. Um, light guns for other systems. I'm just kind of looking. Oh, I do have some for the Saturn. Um, it'd be cool to to look into all the light guns for the different systems. I do love light gun games, and since I have some some uh, CRTs around here, I can still use those, which is neat. You know, there's one really unique uh, accessory I've been wanting to get, and I keep forgetting to pick it up for the Commodore 64, and I think it makes a lot of sense, but it is a um, foot pedal you put on the ground, and you can um, program, I think there's four buttons on it, and you can program the four buttons to be uh, controller inputs. And so I know, obviously, there'd be, you know, up if you want it on the racing game you could put uh, one of the buttons to be up so that that's a gas pedal which would be very cool i believe there's some uh you know some games that use the space bar for like a bomb or things like that and that's really awkward because you have to reach and grab the space bar really quick i want to say that you can map one of those buttons to that i hope you can that'd be really cool but either way i want to get one of those foot pedals i think that'd be pretty goofy and uh, actually useful in a number of games you know, at one point I had a lot of the accessories for the ColecoVision. And the funny thing about the ColecoVision, it is a system with very large accessories. Um, it had the, uh, and I had I had all these things boxed, um, but they had the big old uh, steering wheel that came with uh, Turbo, the game Turbo. Um, they had these big old paddles, they called them baseball paddles. I, I guess they were for the game Baseball with these bright red buttons. Um, and then the joystick on top, you kind of held it like a, a can of soda, but then your hand would go kind of on the top of the soda, if you will, and that's where the joystick was. It was it was an interesting setup. Um, there was also modules on there, of course, that allowed, you know, kind of infamous, allowed you to play Atari games on the ColecoVision. Uh, so there's a lot of really big ones for the ColecoVision. At the time, they just took up so much room, and because they were boxed and in great condition, uh, they were worth a pretty penny, so... I did sell those on, but it might be fun to get some of those back as well. Um, another really good thing that I should probably pick up for any system I don't have it for uh, would have to be, you know, the four-player adapters. I know for the um, PlayStation, that the big V1. I don't have that yet. I love playing four-player games. Um, it's a good excuse to have a party, have a bunch of people come over, uh, drink some beers, and just play a bunch of four-player stuff. So I should probably get that. It'd be fun to get the one for the um, Sega Saturn, which breaks that thing out to like 15-player Bomberman. Uh, <laughs> and and the uh, the PC Engine has one as well that that I think has a high player count for the for the PC Engine or Turbo Graphics. 
So probably worth uh, grabbing those things. Those are pretty cool. Um, you know, I always love systems like uh, the Dreamcast or uh, the GameCube, the Atari 400 even, that has a whole bunch of joystick ports on the front just because they make such great systems. I do have, uh, you know, systems for, for multiplayer gaming. Um, I don't have anything for the Super Nintendo to, to make a four-player game experience happen, although I couldn't, you know, Mario Kart's got to be. It's got to be something. I haven't even thought about it. Uh, but I do have one, the four-tap for the Nintendo, and I love playing four-player Nintendo games. Such a good time. And you know another, uh, if you even want to call it an add-on, but uh, it would be cool to get some of the computer stuff that, that corresponds to these systems. The Japanese Famicom does have the disc system. I keep wanting to get the disc accessory that goes under there, as well as this computer keyboard accessory that goes with all of it, and it actually turns your NES or your Famicom, in this case, into a little computer. Um, and, of course, you've got the ColecoVision Atom, which is uh, you know integrates with the ColecoVision, but it's also its own standalone computer, uh, something I don't have. And... Um, Man, I keep hovering over a Mattel Aquarius. I know it's kind of become this thing lately. Everyone's talking about these, this computer that only came with like 12 total programs, and it's pretty clunky and bad. But just to have it again and put it on the shelf, um, make sure it's running so I can play a game or two and laugh at it, that would be a cool thing to have as well. I would love to to, to hear anybody else's suggestions, uh, kind of fun, unique things that are unique that tell a history that are important to gaming in one way or another and cool to own. I'm always looking for those things and kind of like the things I've been talking about right here. If they are affordable pick-me-ups that you can grab one or two a month, that would be perfect. Uh, we can't always be dropping hundreds of dollars on this stuff, even though I will say that uh, they are great investments. <laughs> so it's not like your money is lost. You're just transferring it into something else. And, uh, you know, that'd be a terribly exciting topic, I'm sure. Maybe next time we'll talk about uh, ensuring your retro video game collection because it's a legitimate thing that I should probably look into at this point. Um, nonetheless, I uh, appreciate you guys for listening and I appreciate it more if you gave me some ideas uh, by reaching out to us on social media or dropping us an email. Thank you much. Have a good one. All right, Eric, we are back. That was a very interesting take that you and I both had. <laughs> yes, indeed. Almost as interesting about the uh, as the the beer we're about to pour in our face. Yes, and we're gonna co- we're gonna coordinate this better since Cody just moved. We don't have an easy way to swap beers, but we are going to. What are the chances we both bought the same exact beer? Let's see what happens here. There's only it's, there's only know. like thirty thousand beers on this earth. What are the yeah. chances we grab the same one? Eric, at the same Why don't time. you go first this time? Oh, I thought we were going to say it at the same time and see if we magically got oh. the same exact beer. Let's do it. You ready? <laughs> yep. One, two, three. Hair tick chocolate hazelnut board. border. Ah. Oh man, that is close, man. Is it? Well, I mean, I almost, I almost had that one. I have a shallow grave in the. Um, I have one of those too. <laughs> Although mine's not <laughs> cold. Could- it could have been it, so beautiful. See, we were close. I did. I actually, ha- I bought the Heretic Chocolate Hazelnut Porter, and I bought myself um, Heretic's Shallow Grave Porter, which is a like an award winner. Yeah, those are two are tough because they're both really, really good. Oh, making noises! Making noises! I'm pouring mine. 
Well, that's good. Let me go ahead and crack open this bad boy. Wow, that is a dark beer. So what is what I didn't hear? What did you get? So mine is from Federation Brewing from Oakland, California. It is Low Boy Oatmeal Stout. Okay, nice. Yeah, we've had the Federation on the show before, but I don't think we've had this one. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, all right. Well, I'm poured and I'm ready for some delicious. So cheers, my friend. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yep, that's a good porter. Yeah, the one you're drinking, I've had many times, and I love it. So you, that's got to be a heritage a one of my one beer. of my favorites, top ten breweries. Yep. Does, yeah, and the shallow grave and that one are perfect. Two perfect winter beers. And both of these beers are so dark that they almost look like oil. So I think we should rate in pints of oil. <laughs> okay or quarts of oil well, how, do you, how do you buy oil in quarts you buy them in quarts um but you could buy them in cases too 16 16 quarts in a case out of 16 quarts of oil gotcha this is a good one let me take another sip here yeah make sure i get the full profile you know it's actually not i thought it was going to be sweet it's got a little hint of sweetness no. but it's not it's not sickly sweet by any means. It's a bit nutty. It's almost toasty. Mine's not. Mine's mine's an oatmeal stout. Mine's definitely uh, living up to its its promise of oatmeal. You know, this is really good. There's only one kind of... This is going to sound really weird, but very slight negative aspect to it. And I kind of feel like I shouldn't even say this on the air because people are going to judge me and think I'm a real weirdo. <laughs> Um, so up here in grass Valley, we didn't have these in Elk Grove, but we're getting a ton of leaves and stuff. And every time we mm-hmm. rake the leaves out of the way, there's gigantic millipedes about the thickness of my pinky. Yeah. The huge millipedes. And I don't know if you've ever smelled a millipede. I have never smelled a millipede. We have them here. I mean, I, I see them out front all the time, but I've never smelled one. No. Yeah. And those, the, the little smaller ones we had in Elk Grove, um, had the smell too, but obviously when they're much bigger, they're much more potent. It's this weird, Man. like acrid smell. Um, this almost has an aftertaste of millipede smell. <laughs> oh no! And it's not really a bad thing. It's just unique. It's like this unique. The word would be acrid, but uh, not necessarily not necessarily in a bad way. Hmm. I want you to go on their website and write a review, and I want you to say that with it smells like hints, millipede hints of toasted oats. Toffee, hazelnut, <laughs> and acrid millipede. <laughs> I'm going to give this, um, you know, I do, I really like it. I don't, and it's not like mind blowing, but I do really like, it. I'm going to give it 13 out of 16 quarts of oil. You know, I'm going to do the same thing. This is not the best oatmeal stout I've ever had, um, but it's not bad at all. So I'm going to give this a 13 as well. I think we're in alignment. I think we've agreed on that before in the show. Oatmeal stouts are almost always just good, solid beers. That's just kind. They lend themselves yeah. to be that. A good thirteen Definitely. out of sixteen all day long. Yes. Almost, almost regardless of brewery, you know. <clears throat> yep. All right. With beers out of the way, Eric, I think it is yeah. time for us. You can go ahead and take it away. Six good games. Games that use radar. <laughs> Good game. 
I'm glad you took it because I almost said battle the systems again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I don't know why I do that every time. Mm. All right. Safe so games that have radar in them. Yep. And I like to, you know, I think this is a good subject, of course, but I do think that, I mean, we, we usually pick games we probably haven't talked about a lot and we try, try to pick to. games that are new to the show or whatever, but I did have to pick a couple of these games um, or ones we have talked about on the show, but I do want to revisit them and maybe talk about elements of them that we haven't discussed before that I think are really interesting about these games. So hopefully we can take a little bit of time on each one to do that. Do you want to start Did us you off? you want to go first? You want to start off? No, I want you to, I want you to go for it. <clears throat> All right. The first one I'm going to talk about is Raid on Bungaling Bay for the Commerce 64. Uh, this, one of the interesting facts about this game is that it was the first video game designed by Will Wright. Legendary oh. game designer. Did you know that? Oh, that person. I don't. I apologize. Wright, I don't yeah. know who real white Will Wright is. Nor can I say you his don't name. know who Will Wright is. Well, he made Sim City. Oh, okay. Um, he made like The Sims. <laughs> okay. I mean, he's one of the one of the you know probably. Well, see, he didn't most he didn't, successful video game designer. That's in the problem the world. right there, though. He didn't. It's not like Sid Meier's Civilization. He has to put his name. Right. It should be called Will Wright The Sims. You're right. You're Will right. Wright exactly. Bungling Bay. Yep. You're right. He should have. He should have done that. And I think he did later on. I think he did start to put his name on, on the games. Um, but this one was published by Broderbund, which is, they made a lot of really great games on the Commodore 64 and a lot of 8-bit systems. Um, now, this, this game came out on more than one platform, which I found really cool. Um, this game came out on the, the Nintendo. It came out on mm-hmm. the um, the MSX. And it came out on the Versus machine, the Nintendo Versus machine. This was an arcade game. Oh, really? Huh. Yep. But it came out first on the Commodore 64. And it is a game where you, and I should preface this with my bias, this is in my top three all-time Commodore 64 games. I love this game. And in preparation for this, I played it and I beat it. And it nice. is considered by most a pretty difficult game. So you're, um, so so you're flexing the, right now. Of, you're, just, you're just flexing yeah, for the listeners. Well, I don't most get to people do that very often. Most people think this game is pretty difficult, but I beat it. Yeah, I beat it the first time I played it but because no. I've played it so many times. But um, it is a game where you fly a, a helicopter around and you... There is a city that is, it's a living city. Like things are moving around. There's, there's factories in there. There's like little trains going by supplying goods to the factory. There are airfields. There are little gunboats going around. There are radar dishes that spin around. Top, top down, by the way. We want to clarify. Yep. Top down. Top down. This is a living city though. So if you destroy radar dishes on an island, it is less likely that the enemy will be able to find you with its fighter jets. Um, If you destroy the convoys going to the factories, they can't build the battleship. That is, there's a battleship that that is being built. And if that thing finishes, um, it will destroy you in no time. So it, again, there is a strat, a deep strategy to this game of trying to keep its resources down. Now, the goal of the game is, to hover over the factories and blow up 
blow them up. And the way you do that is you hold the button down to drop a bomb hmm. and you just hit it over and over again to fire your, your bullets. Meanwhile, there is a carrier that you can land on to re to fix all of your damage and to get new ammo. And there's an airfield too, that you can land to get ammo. Now, if you let the bungling empire, <laughs> um, if, if you don't destroy elements in the world, they will build a bigger army and attack your carrier. And if your carrier gets destroyed, it's not game over, but that you're on your last life. You don't get any more lives because you get those from the carrier and you can't repair your damage anymore. You, so basically you can reload your ammo by going to an airfield, but you can't repair damage and you can't get new, new lives. So there, there is such a complexity, this game, and that I, I just don't think this game gets enough credit. Um, and of course, I have to note the radar. There is a radar thing in the bottom left-hand side. <laughs> On the Nintendo version, they left that off. Really? How would you even play um, this without the radar? You, you like just you need use that. the little arrow that's in the bottom. Now, it's either the Nintendo or the MSX. The MSX one, I know for sure, does not have the radar. It only gives you an arrow. I think the Nintendo one does the same. I, I, it's been a long time since I've played that one. But in the Commodore 64 one, there is definitely um, a radar and an arrow. But, man, I love this game. And I always have. I This was one I distinctly remember playing a lot as a kid and beating it. Um, and by the way, the more damage you take, the, the border turns different colors. So it'll turn red, yellow, oh, and red, depending okay. on the level of damage you take. Um, and, God, I... I I just can't say enough good things about this game. I love it. It, it, it. It's right in my wheelhouse, little arcade shooter. It's it, it scrolls smoothly. And if you listen to Will Wright in interviews, this is what gave him the idea to make SimCity. I was going to say, he it looks like making, SimCity. It looks, yep, he, it looks he like lo- SimCity he with a helicopter. He making the city. Exactly. He loved making the city part of this and, and the living city where it was all doing stuff behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And um, that this was kind of the nucleus. It's like, what if we made making this game a game itself? Yep. So, Cody, if you haven't played this game much, so you just you need to revisit it. You enlightened me many, many, many moons, many times Um, because I have played this game and I, you know, it's fun flying around, shooting things. I did learn that you can land on the the aircraft carrier and re-energize. Yeah, but this is like the epitome excuse me, kind of like Paradroid, where if you were to get a copy of this game back in the day, or like me, just yeah. get a ROM and try to play it, you're not going to figure this thing out. You're not going to realize that there's a strategy that the, that taking out certain things impact other things, or that uh, the border even means health or any of those things. You need to read that. Like, Did, right. you, did you have a boxed copy of this when you were a kid? Uh, no, I pirated it. You did? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, you probably just played with somebody who had a copy or something. They taught you or something. Because I don't, I don't feel like that. You would figure that stuff out just playing the game. In um, fact, I I did learn like in, as an adult. So listen, I beat this as a kid. Okay. Yeah. But as an adult, I learned that when you hover over the factories and you drop your bombs, usually you have to hold the button down. Well, there's a delay, obviously, because you have to hold the button, then a yeah, bomb yeah. drops, and mm-hmm. you have to. And meanwhile, the jets are scrambling when they know you're over a factory. 
they're scrambling the jets to come kill you. I found out as an adult by reading the instructions, which I never read as a kid, <laughs> that there there is a key that you can hit. I don't remember what it is, but there's a key that you can hit on the Commodore 64 to drop bombs. Instantly, yeah. So you could you could hover over it, and instead of holding the fire button, you could hit the key over and over again, which made it go much faster. It's got to be the space bar, right? It's always the, the space bar. I don't know. I, I, no, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I think fire is the space bar. By the way, the video we're watching of this game, uh, yeah. they in the time we just talked about it, they beat the game from start to finish. <laughs> Correct. So if you know what you're doing, it's not a long game. No, not at all. But it is fun. Yeah. So anyway, that is my first game with a radar raid on Bungling Bay. Good choice. And I knew you were going to pick this before you even did it because you talk about this game. You love this game, which is fine. Yeah. It's just fine. Uh, it, yeah. I'm getting I'm getting to a similar point where I keep kind of talking about other games. So I don't know if I've used this on a six good game segment yet or not. Um. But when I think uh, games with radar, I think um, well, first one I thought of was Carmageddon, which we just talked about last episode. So I can't take that again, <laughs> yeah. uh, which led me to like just car battle games, which is the coolest type of game, um, you know, yes. twisted metal things. But I never played a lot of twisted metal. I loved it when I went to friends' houses, but I never had a PlayStation. And I yeah. always thought anything on the PlayStation, including twisted metal, just looked pixely and ugly. I always couldn't stand the look, but uh, Vigilante 8 Second Offense, uh, which I, so I think I did play this on the Nintendo 64 is where I played it. Uh, you can okay. also play it on the Dreamcast, and I saw a video on here of the Dreamcast playing in VGA mode, which is like 720p, yeah. and it looks so crisp and clean, it doesn't look anything like, but let's watch the video of, um, here's actually the PlayStation version, but I'm reviewing the Nintendo 64 version. Which is what I what I played, but the, Vigilante Eight, uh, the first one was a fun car battling game with like crazy disco music and a bunch of like seventies style cars and people, um, just with cars with guns and flames and missile launchers and all kinds of stuff. While there's disco music going in the background, uh, stupid call outs that people are yelling things from their cars. It was a very fun game. Vigilante Eight Second Offense kicked it up a notch. Um, you could like update your cars and add things. There's kind of a, a story mode through the whole thing. Um, all of the different maps were very different. This is like a haunted mansion in a bayou right here. There's like a this Antarctic. Um, uh, this one's a, like a what do you call it? Florida rocket launch no, like pad. A beach. Well, yeah. this is where the the rocket launch is. So there's all these islands, but there's um like there's a oh yeah a there rocket pad right there. Yeah. Um, Cape Canaveral or something. That's what I was looking for. Cape Canaveral. Thank you. And you can pick up um, two weapons. You can pick up, there's um, like miss, like you always have a machine gun and the machine gun, if you hold it down, you know, it shoots fast. And as it heats up, it slows down until it just stops working. So you can't just hold the machine gun all the time. You can pick up missiles that uh, shoot out of the front of your car. Um, You can pick up these mines that drop behind the car. There are um, kind of heat seeking missiles Uh, on the top of this one right now is a little, uh, launcher that shoots lasers uh, regardless of where you're aiming it'll just shoot cars nearest to you um, there's also these ones that shoot mortars up in the air and will you know lock on to things um, right now you just got an ability where his wheels turn to hover pads so it's just like this kind yeah. of uh, sci-fi 70s mashup 
and it's just stupid fun. What what I like about it, so Twisted Metal, I would say, is very arcadey. Um, yeah. You know, the cars just kind of turn and on a dime, and um, it's, you know, it's kind of like, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's very arcadey, quick, where this is very much more physics-based. And so I would say the matches take a lot longer on Vigilante 8, um, but there's more to explore and more to... to to play in and around, but it is a, I would say slower pace game than, um, twisted metal. Um, I think, I think it it feels a little more stylized. Um, I'm not sure what else to say about it. Uh, it, it, I love the story mode because you're, you're in between rounds, you're upgrading parts of your cars and stuff. I'm trying to get to that point in here in the video, but I'm not seeing it right now. Yeah. Um, so I have played this. Mm hmm. Um, I've played Vigilante 8 and this one second mission or second offense. Um, and I don't know if you knew this. So we we just talked about Windows XP, right? Yeah. Um, the game, one game I loved probably the most from that time era was Interstate 76. Mm-hmm. And it was a game that was in the 70s, disco style music, and you drove around a car and you could add parts and and upgrade weapons and this and that. And you went and you did missions. And and it was one of the first games where we played online a lot. And me and my friends had a little like posse in Interstate 76. Those developers left and made Vigilante 8. So these are the same guys that made Interstate 76. Yeah. Um, And when it came out, I was really looking forward to it. And uh, I ended up getting it on PlayStation because I didn't have an N64. I got on PlayStation and I played this a lot. And uh, so it's, it's, kind of blood like its dna is is built into a game that i adore probably one of my all-time favorite games of all time was interstate 76 i'm gonna have to play that and one. you talk about it a lot and i remember seeing it and loving the theme but i never actually did play interstate 76 it's not the easiest game to try to play now because it was an online game like it mainly was oh, online was it? there was a story played it yeah, there was a story mode, but it wasn't very there wasn't very much to it and it really was built around kind of an online kind of deal, but um yeah, I I I adored Interstate 76 and I I liked Vigilante 8 too on PlayStation and I it was a game I played often, so it was a good choice. Very cool. I can hear the music just watching it right now. Yeah. So cool. Car battling games are just great. They are. I love them. All right, my second one is uh, you can. I'm sure you can join me in discussing this because I, I'm sure everybody knows this. Wizard of War. So Wizard of War is a game that started out in the arcade, but I didn't know that. I never saw Wizard of War in the arcade. Have you ever seen the arcade machine? So here's where you're going to laugh at me. I yeah. Right when he said Wizard of War. I was trying to visualize yeah. the game in my head because it doesn't ring a bell. I've heard it a lot. I'm looking at okay. the gameplay right now. I've never seen this game. <laughs> I've never <laughs> awesome. seen Wizard of well, War. Well, good. But I'm then looking. I, at, I am looking at the arcade. Something. I'm looking at the arcade version. Right, that's the one you want to pick for this. Yeah, yeah. Because okay. and the good news is the arcade version is almost identical to the Commodore 64 version. The ports are awesome. So. Okay. The ports of this game really are... So you're saying the arcade game looks crappy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Ooh, hot Exactly. Day. But the, the, the arcade game is... 
I, I, I've never seen this in the arcade, so I couldn't really tell you. I've played it on my main cabinet. Um, so I know that it is almost identical to the Commodore 64 version. Um, but let me tell you why this game is really cool. And one thing this came out for obviously was the arcade, but it came out on everything. Atari 8 bits. There's an Atari 2600 version of this. Atari 5200. The Bally Astrocade has a cop version of this that is it is the best game on the system. On okay. Astrocade. I don't know if you know that system very well, but the games on the Astrocade are very rudimentary mm-hmm. looking. I mean, it's a f- good system, but this is on there and it's awesome. Um, and of course the Commodore 64. So um, this is a game where you are, I mean, there's, there's some lore that I, I, you know, never paid attention to when I played this game. Uh, because it's just an arcade game, but it's a maze game where you're this little guy with a gun and you pop out of this little area. Now, the area you pop out of is protected and you won't get born into the maze until you're ready. And you can just hit up and you will pop into the thing. But if you wait too long, it'll just force you in there. It does not on purpose because there's dudes that run around in the maze. Bad this dudes. is one of my go to games on Commodore 64. I love it. It's a game a lot like Joust in that if you play it two player, you can cooperate if you want to, but you can shoot each other and kill each other. You can compete so or cooperate. Like Joust, you, yeah, you can, you can agree to cooperate or you can stab each other in the back and kill each other. <laughs> so th- this game, you just go around the map and you kill guys. Now, that, that sounds like, well, that's lame, Eric. You know, this is stupid. That's the, what I was the about dudes, to say. The dudes, the 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 bad guys turn invisible sometimes they do so how do you combat that it's the radar the radar and so the radar the radar will always show the dudes so you if you see a dude and he disappears you can look down on the radar and kind of know where he is now one thing about this game is when you clear the regular guys and all these guys have names, and they're in my notes here, but I'm not going to say them. I'm like the Burr Wars and the Gar Wars or blah, blah, blah. I, There's one I have to point out in a second, but you you, you uh, say <laughs> I just Well, the, 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 the goal of the game is when you clear out the normal bad guys, these guys that fly really fast show up and they turn invisible. All right, let me... Let me and th- then... I have to bring that one up. I'm sorry. So Okay, go ahead. This is like back in the day, and I always had this issue with like Lord of the Rings, right? Which was, I believe, written yeah. in the 70s. When they couldn't think of a name for the large, leather-skinned, gray creatures with large tusks and big ears, yeah, they came up with the name Oilophant. I'm like, yeah, you wanted to make a large elephant, and you couldn't think of a better name than Oilophant. That's as far as you can go. <laughs> In this game, those creatures are called Warlucks, not Warlocks, Eric. Warluck. Well, yeah, because I mean, the game is called Wizard of War, but War is W O R. So instead of orcs, they have like arcs <laughs> and instead of, <laughs> instead of exactly. Yeah. I mean, come on. This is anyways. All right. Sorry. Tangent. That's okay. And then eventually, like when you clear that, there'll be a guy that comes on there. I think he is the warlock and he yeah. tries to escape. He tries to escape out of the maze. And if you hit him, you get a bonus. Um, and then eventually, towards the end of the game, you face the Wizard of War guy. Oh, there he is, right there. Wizard of War, watch out! He's, yep, he's all wizardy. Yep. See, and he uh, see how the screen gets all excited. And <laughs> anyway, th- I know this game looks kind of basic, but it is. Whenever I boot up my Commodore sixty four, like, and I want to just test and make sure everything's working out okay, 
this is the game I load up. I always have. And I, I had this as a cartridge back in the day, which I didn't have that many Commodore 64 cartridges, but this was one of them. And I, I would just use it to play a quick and dirty arcade game because I loved it. Yeah, we got we to gotta play this next time you come over or vice versa. Sure. It's a fun game. It is a blast. And two player, like I said, is a lot of fun. So anyway, Wizard of War, play it. So it's, it funny, now. it's funny now that I see this. Uh, two things. First of uh-huh. all, um, I've played... You know how you know a lot of people take these classic arcade game style gameplay and then make millions of different versions of it. You know, um, cookie yeah. cutter versions. In fact, I just played a game on the C sixty four where you go into an arcade. We talked about it uh, recently. I can't remember the name of it right now. Uh, modern release that came out for it, where you go into an arcade and play all these kind of different versions of Frogger and different versions of Rally X and different versions of different games. And there was one type of game that kept showing up, and I couldn't pinpoint what game it was from. It's this. So I've seen this before. I like when you're these guys. They they look like they should be. It should be a platformer the way they're walking. But when you press like vertical, yeah. they just like walk up space, like not even on the ground. They're just walking vertically. Like their whole sprite twists ninety degrees and just walks up into the air. It's like this bizarre <laughs> yeah, exactly. thing that uh, you probably don't realize anymore. But when I see it, I'm like, what on earth? Um, yeah. But it is it hel- it's helpful in a game like this because you know what direction he's pointing. Well, most of the games that I've seen that kind of rip this off would use like tanks. So at that point, it makes yeah, sense because sure. it'd be top down. Yeah, like, yeah, they're going to turn different directions. But this is like a yeah. side on. I don't know. It's interesting. But the other thing I want to point out is uh, when they just go invisible. That's when you can use the radar, right? Correct. The whole point of the radar yep. game. I never even talked about Vigilante Eight, but obviously the the bat the battle. Uh, car battle games are going to be big on radars. That's, you know, that's to find, to find where guys even Twisted on the Metal map. 2. Yeah, even Twisted Metal 2, my favorite game of all time on the PS1, that has a radar too. So, I mean, all those, Very all those heavy car, on the radar. Yeah, they, they need it. Yeah. So anyway, Wizard of War, that's my second pick. What's your second I pick? I can't believe friend? I never played that. Well, speaking of <laughs> yeah, classic... I, I, I was stunned because I was like, hey, you can help. You can talk about this with me if you want, because I've I'm sure you've played, played this. Never have. You got to. I mean, I honestly, I, I got to tell you, it looks kind of cheesy, but it is a blast. Play it if you can. If you got the cojones. So when I was young, yeah, but, but a wee pup, and I've talked to this about this before, I got this game pack for my Macintosh because, again, not a whole lot of games came out on Macintosh. That's right. And this game came out in Macintosh, and I never really looked into it until this episode, and I kind of learned a lot. So uh, I got this game pack, and it came with a a really cool uh, graphic adventure point-and-click kind of game called uh, Rise of the Dragon. Mm -hmm. Um, It came with a game that you and I both know called Red Baron, which is very cool, like World War II plane sim arcade. Yeah. Yep. And then it came with a game called Stellar 7. Now, I got these all in one box, and each of these games was on like 5 to 10 discs. So you had to install <laughs> each one of these or load different, you know, it was that whole yeah. floppy switching thing. Stellar yeah. 7, every, I just remember playing it, and I enjoyed it to a point, and it's one of those things where I only had those three games, and those are my, the three games I got for like two years. I never got anything else. So those are my games, right? Um... Is honestly the least favorite of the three, but it always okay. felt old to me, and I was always like, "This is like a new Macintosh game. Why does it always why does it feel kind of old school?" 
And I did enjoy it. It is a good game. And it is, um, well, I'll let you see. I don't know if you've seen the gameplay on this. Let me find, uh, uh, see if you can find the Macron because I want to, I want to see what you experienced. Yeah, exactly. It's so stellar seven. And why can't I find the Mac version of it? This is not Macintosh. I even wrote Macintosh in here because I wanted you to see the Macintosh version of the game. Well, you know what? I can't find it because that's how rare it is. I think I still have it somewhere. <laughs> it might be. I still have it no, somewhere, like too. With these games, you never know. Like like, uh, like Farmer's Daughter. You like just farmer's, can't find it. Farmer's <laughs> Daughter. <laughs> well, I'm just going to play the PC version here because I think it, it probably looks very similar. Okay. Uh, yeah. But I remember this opening screen here with this... Um, ran like space base thing and there's some plot but um so here you go you got you got your briefing your your options and everything they give you a little information about what enemies are going to be in this particular field um what you're going up against but I want, when you get to the gameplay i want you to tell me what this game looks like to you here's the gameplay yeah i can already tell you what it looks like to me it looks like battle zone that's exactly what it is. And again, Battlezone is a game that I never knew from my youth. I know what it is now. Uh, and I looked it up, yeah. and this is uh, essentially Battlezone 2 is what it essentially is. And I was like, okay. I was like, when I got this game, I was like 10. I mean, I probably got it in like 1993, something like that, 94, 93. I'm like, wasn't Battlezone like early, early 80s? Like late se- Maybe? I think it was either late 70s or early 80s, but... I did play Battlezone in the arcade and on on home consoles, of course. And they, I mean, this looks way better than Battlezone. I mean, this is the PC version. But the game, this game, I mean, I don't know if is very Battlezone. It's very Battlezone. No, the gameplay definitely. The graphics are better. Um, but I don't know how the Mac compared to this. I mean, did the Mac look kind of like this? Oh yeah, this is pretty much exactly what it looked like. So, okay, good. Let me, let me talk about the game real quick. So you've got your radar okay. kind of front and center and the bottom middle of the screen. And as yeah. you are essentially in a tank, uh, of some sort, I think it's a hover tank in this particular game. And there's just this wide, flat, open, uh, you know, field in front of you that you're going forward, backwards, left and right, as if you are a tank. Um, and there's hovercrafts you're attacking. There's these, like, flying bird plane things. Uh, there's weird bouncing orbs and things. All kinds of geometric shapes. Um, it's a, In this particular level, it's very red. And the inside of your tank is very blue. Um, that's kind of the color palette. But that changes based on the level. Uh, there's also these tar, tall, like, glyphs that get in the way. When you hit them, you bounce. You just kind of bounce off the glyphs. Uh, but the game really becomes trying to l- figure out how fast the enemy ships are moving and lead them by shooting ahead of them. Because your shot, you kind of see it getting smaller as it goes farther in the distance. And you really have to kind of practice and get better at that. Um, also, the bird plane things will be higher up in the air, and you have to get them when they kind of dive low enough to shoot them, like they do right here. There's different yeah. kinds of weapons. You know, you got your lasers, you got like some machine gun kind of things, you got some heat seeking stuff. Um, you have a certain amount of energy. Um, obviously, as enemies shoot you, you lose energy for your shield, but there's also certain weapons that take some energy. So it's kind of a trade off there. And you just kind of complete, complete these different levels. It's a pretty fun game. If you like uh, Battlezone and you want more, this is more Battlezone. Um, so now I have to show you what I figured out about this game, which is so this is, you know, this is in the shop. 
nostalgia for me because I had this game, even though I didn't particularly pick it out and try to buy it as a kid. Like I had this game. Um, so to kind of pique my curiosity and look up why it felt so old, it did, this game did come out on the Macintosh in 1993 when I got it. It had come out three years earlier on the PC and Eric, I'm going to show you this. Let's see if it's right here. Here is Stellar 7 for the Apple II 1983. So this game had been out for 10 years by the time I got my version on the Mac. Right. And Um, this one's definitely more wireframe, not not solid solid polygon graphics. Yep. Here is Stellar 7 Um, on the Apple II. (laughs) Yeah. And this looks a lot more like Battlezone, right? I mean, this is exactly what Battlezone looked like. Um, and I, I looked this up while we were talking. Battlezone came out in 1980, so very 1980, early okay. arcade game. And I, I remember playing it in the arcades. And I, I got to tell you, I actually really, really liked Battlezone. There was nothing like it uh, where there was like 3D plane, and you could go, you know, uh, drive around on this 3D plane. And there were objects that got smaller and bigger, you know, either smaller or bigger if you were driving towards or away from it. I. You got to remember in the early 80s when I was a little kid stomping around going to arcades, that was a pretty big deal. So, oh, yeah, Battlezone, I played it a lot in arcades and I loved it. I thought it was great. So, this game actually looks pretty cool to me, especially the DOS version and what you said would be the Mac version, which, if it's similar to that, that looks pretty cool. Yeah, it's very similar. Yep. So, what, what Mac did you have? Do you remember? When I was playing this, it would have been a uh, Macintosh Centris, which, okay. which was like the home version of the Quadra, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I like it. I here's, think it looks really here, great. Here's a different level. Here's Antari. So in this level, there's now these walking things, and you can see this is more of a moon-looking level, and there's... So, I mean, it changes yeah. up the visual aspect of it, too, but I had a blast playing it when I was a, when I was a kid. It wasn't something yeah. I would have bought by choice, but sometimes it's good to be forced into playing games like that. The games you wouldn't normally play just so that you can get exposed to them and see if you like them or not. It makes me want to go on eBay and look up and see if I can find the Sierra three pack. Let me, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm just so curious. <laughs> Sierra now. three pack. You should look it up. Yeah. Sierra. That would be something cool for the shelf, three, right? Three pack. I, well, my mom probably still has our original one. Uh, so lots of colorful socks. Lots of socks. Put Mac in there. Mac yeah, and, there Macintosh. So cute. That'd be, three pack. That'd be like, so cool oh. if it actually popped up. Well, there's a there's Leisure, Leisure Suit Larry. <laughs> there's something for you here. Man, it'd be so cool to find. Um, there's Stellar 7. Stellar 7. There it there's is. There's Stellar 7. Oh, hey, according to eBay, it's a rare arcade game. <laughs> um was it the fam- was it the sierra family fun pack that looks kind of like one of them but that's not the one yeah oh i'm gonna i'm gonna search this, More this thing out anyway yeah, you gotta look look, look for that because man that would be something that like that's the kind of stuff i dig i'd get that and just put it on my shelf i wouldn't even open it <laughs> <laughs> um I am going to put the next game here, but I need you to pick a system for me to look up. Okay. Yeah. So I would just, I would do the one I played on. Uh, I would do uh, the Commodore 64. All right. 
I think you made the wrong choice. So the That's next cool. game I picked, this is my final <laughs> pick. And then the reason I really picked this is a, I love the game. I mean, when I was a kid, it blew my mind, but a game I've heard I a ton about because, and I've never actually played because well, I tried it once, but it's another one of those. I need to learn how to play it to play it. Yeah. Yeah. And this game, I mean, is pretty involved. So, I mean, you would, you would do well if you just read through the manual once. So you can get a, uh, you know, even a scan of the manual online. Yeah. Um, but the reason I picked this mainly is when you think of radars in games, mm-hmm. th- this was one of the first ones that had this very revolutionary, um, three dimensional radar system showing you not only North, South, East, West, but also a different plane, like a, a 3d plane. If they were above or below you. Now, if our listeners haven't figured so the radar out, radar would figured show it, you if they haven't figured it out by now, the game is called. Elite. Boom. Drop the bomb. So this is the first Elite. And the Elite didn't come out on the Commodore 64, but that's where I played it. It came out first on the BBC Micro, um, but it came out on all sorts of systems. Um, the Electron, the Apple II, the Commodore 64, the Amstrad CPC, ZX Spectrum, MSX, the Einstein, IBM PC, the Acorn Archimedes, Amiga, Atari ST, and the Nintendo Entertainment System. So I mean, this how thing easy it was got to port, around, yeah, to everything. And I heard all like every um, version of it was came good. Out on the BBC, yeah, the first the BBC Micro version came out on a forty eight K machine. So I mean, it fit in forty eight K. Now, <clears throat> Elite at its at its basic function is a space combat slash trading game. So what it is is a game where you start off with a very rudimentary spacecraft and you are at a space station and your goal is to go from space station to space station, buy goods low and sell them at other stations for high. And the thing that would blew people's mind about this game is that the world is huge or not the world, the universe universe. Yeah. I mean, there is no limit to the universe. You can just keep going on and on and on. And it's all in the game. Basically when you go to a space station, like there's a video playing right now that we're watching, you have to rotate your ship to fit in the door. So (laughs) you have the space station is constantly rotating. So you have to change your, um, your at your your basic attitude of your ship to fit within the docking bay doors of the ship. Now, eventually, as you make money, you can upgrade your ship and you can buy a docking computer that does that all automatically for you. But you don't get that in the beginning automatically. And you basically look at their list of goods at a space station. And if you see something that is low, you buy a ton of it. And then when as you visit other planets, you can sell those things for higher money and make money. So it's one of the very first like a uh, trading, uh, basically uh, learning uh, like economics game. and <laughs> yeah, exactly like a commerce game. But you don't have to choose that lifestyle if you don't want to. If you want to, you can become a dirty pirate and you can start blowing up other spaceships. And as you fly through their debris, you have these collectors on your ship that can collect their fuel and spare parts. And you can apply them to your ship and you basically just fly around and you can just be a pirate or be like a, you can, 
you basically have a uh, criminal record in this game. So you can like, if you're blowing up a bunch of people, the, 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 I don't think they're called police, but the, the policing body will come mm-hmm. after you and try to get you. Um, you can fly very close to like the sun to get energy. You can, you can add different things on your spacecraft. Um, you have shields. Um, you can buy new spacecraft as you start to earn more and more money. Um, and you buy fuel and you can just do these like, like light jumps to different star systems to start trading in those places too. Very complex system, but the radar was one of the most unique things people had seen. Basically, the radar is kind of like on this 2D plane, but as you tilt your ship up and down, the ships, you can see a line that generates from the object and tells you if it's above or below you. So, essentially, so to me, it almost the, looks like you're looking at a dinner plate, a flat dinner plate. Yeah. And then as you move around, <laughs> there's these flags that either a flagpole that sticks up with the flag on it, showing that the item is the thing is above you. Or the yep. flag goes down and the flag, you know, it's below the plate, showing that it's below Correct. you. And it does make sense once you see it in action. Once you see it, it is at a very, and this was the first time you'd ever seen any kind of radar system like this. It was very innovative and very cool. Um, this game came like on a disc and on one disc, it just, you got to imagine like when this game came out. I mean, this game came out like 1984. And it was like a universe on a disc. I wow. mean, there was so many different planets, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of planets you could visit and, and do trading with. And it was one of the, it is, it is the very first game I ever played. That was kind of the first sandbox game. Yeah. Meaning you could go in there and you can do whatever you want. If you want to just fly around, just fly around. If you want to, blow up everybody, blow up everybody. If you want to create alliances and like do trading and stuff, you do that. Um, you do whatever you want in this game and it has a very sophisticated trading system too. So, um, I, I can't tell you enough about this game. I love this. This is a game where, um, I bought the, by, I ended up pirating this game but I liked it so much and wanted to learn more about it and be better at it. I went and bought the actual version of the game See, so I could get the manual and everything. Pirates make money for the companies too. Sometimes. The proof is in the air. Sure. If your game is good enough, sure. <laughs> so anyway, that is elite. And, and by the way, I wanted to show you this, Cody, if you, if you can see my picture. I here. can, I can. This was one of the longest running franchises because they came out with the Elite 2 called Elite mm-hmm. Frontier, and that was on the Amiga. Um, they came out with um, some other games and that were similar, but then they did a Kickstarter in 2014 to come out with Elite Dangerous. Elite Dangerous, yep, absolutely. Which I have on the I have on the Xbox One, and it is made by the the guy David Braben. Um and it is made by Frontier, the same company who made it. Wow. And they kickstarted it and they made it. And they even, it sold so well, they even came out with a DLC for it and, and add on there. And this game is amazing. Is it? it is everything that is elite, but it is, the graphics are like, it just blows you away. I mean, it is so cool. Did you put a lot um, of time into that one? Nope, not yet. I mean, I bought it years ago, but I haven't even... I mean, I played it here and there, but I I never put a lot of time into it. So this is a game that, but this is a game that 
I really want to dig into. I've tried it once without knowing all much about how it works and everything. And, you know, it was right. hard to get into. But this would be one of those games that, like, if I ever went to a cabin or something with no internet, I would want yeah. to bring just this game so there's no distractions. Because it is something that you could totally immerse yourself in. But if you have anything else around with, like, a picture on it, like, you would be nowadays it would be so hard to pay attention to, to this game because it's just words, numbers, and lines. Yeah. But I could see myself getting really into it and getting lost in it if I could create the right scenario for myself. Um, yeah, absolutely. And and the the reason the game is called Elite is because you have a you have there is a rating system in the game about how kind of kind of you know bad A you are. You know, <laughs> I, I know we're a family show, and Elite is the top. So if you if you keep going and you make enough money and you get 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 to a certain level you can become you you have a, a rating of elite and below that are like other like sub levels you know what i mean i mean when you first start out i think you're like a novice or something and then you go up and up and up in levels until you get to the top one which is elite so i was going to so, ask you if there is an end game in this game because that's usually a killer for me for sandbox games if there's no actual end game i, I have the hardest time so is that Yeah, the end game the end game is to be become elite. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so there, do you there save? Is, do you definitely. save? Is it a game that you can save or is it all one sitting yep. each time? Oh no, no, no. You would want to save. This game is hours of playing because okay. um like like I said, if you become a pirate, you can actually take contraband and you can take contraband to space stations, but if you get pulled over by the police <laughs> They will search your ship, and if they scan your ship and you have contraband, they start firing on you. So, I mean, the game, there, there's a quick reward for carrying contraband, but you will get your butt kicked if you don't have it, haven't beefed up your system, your your ship enough to survive that kind of attack. Um, so in the beginning, it's best to just be like a nice little legal trader. And during the game, other pirates will actually attack you to get your 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 cargo. So it's just a fantastic and very deep game, um, which you would be you you just didn't see this on eight bit systems. You know what I mean? It looks, um, so I can anyway, see myself elite. losing my my losing myself on this. I could I want I oh yeah I kind of want to go back in time and do it where there's like it just blows my mind because I know if I actually try it now I'll have to like put effort into getting into it. But absolutely, I, but I, I want mean, nowadays to get there. you'll play this and go. Oh man, you know, you, you know, you're going to play this and go, okay, well, I mean, it is neat, but it's like kind of slow and frames well, per second's not great or whatever, but. Well, no, what I really want to play but, it is, is it, um, they were making a, someone was making a Vectrix version of it. And since it's all text and wireframe and that's all Vectrix is, that's perfect. Yeah. And if they came out with that, I would buy that in a heartbeat and I would sink like a lot of time into that just because the Vectrix looks so cool. And it'd be so perfect yeah. for what this game is. Yep. Cool. I, kinda, I, I, I agree. I mean, that, that would be a great platform to play this on. If I was going to jump into this, do I jump into Elite, Elite Dangerous? Do I try something in the middle? What do you, what say you, Eric? Oh, I, if I, if I were you, I'd probably play um, Elite Frontier on um, the Amiga. Okay. Because, I mean, right, that is going right. to be smooth solid graphics they're not wireframe they're solid but they're the, the the frames per second's a lot smoother there's more to do i think you can land on planets and stuff 
and do mining. Okay. So I think there's more to do. I think it'd be a more interesting game on the Amiga. Um, but, but I mean, I love the Commodore 64 version. That's the one I played. Cool. I got one last game for you, Eric. Yes. This your, is a game. Last one. This is a game that I played apparently probably on the Windows XP platform. Well, I'm talking a lot about that. I'm happy about that. And cool. I played this one. I played um, the one before and the one after it. And I don't know what it was. Well, I do know what it is, what it is about this game. It is a good game, kind of like our sixth yeah. good game segment. I would never yeah. like recommend it to uh, a lot of people, but the right type of person, which I was. Uh, th- this particular one is the one I remember the most. It was Delta Force 3 Land Warrior. came out in 2000. Okay on the pc it's a first person shooter but um there you have all these uh there if i remember right they're almost all kind of um middle eastern sand type terrain um levels where you're in the u.s military i believe and you're given a certain um you you have suggested gear you can only bring so much gear and you go out there and when we get to the gameplay here eric i think you'll see why why this appealed to me so much it's funny looking back on it even at the time the graphics were pretty sparse yeah it's a lot of you know blue sky and sand and that's about it you're pretty (laughs) chunky characters right and you only had a few guns you could stand you could crouch you could crawl um i mean it was pretty sparse but see right here there you go so this is sniping this is where i got into games where you just hide from a distance and like pick people off and then the entire game is the same every level is the same and it just became like candy to me like there's going to be some sort of a building or base in the middle of something and so you kind of have to go around the perimeter and pick all the guys outside off make your way to the base and then you start going inside and picking people off but how do you know where all those guys are eric the radar the radar the radar and you'd shoot these guys. And at the time, it was really cool because depending on where you shot them, they'd die like really extravagantly. Like, yeah, whole, like that guy got shot in the stomach and he bent over. Yep. And they would take like 10 <laughs> seconds to die. Uh, if you look yeah. at the radar, it's kind of hard to see because it's um, not full screen right now. Let me fast forward. You can see the guys, um, you can see a cheesy ladder like glued to the side of this pyramid. Just, oh, there's a ladder here. Um, these buildings make no sense. There's no reason for these guys to be guarding just bricks with nothing in it, but they are. Um, but if you look at the, uh, the radar, you can see all of the guys there, there's like dozens of them at once on the radar. And they're like a round yeah. circle with one little line that kind of sticks out almost like a quake logo. And of course, where the line sticks out is which direction they're facing. So you can sneak up behind people and pick them off. You can, uh, come over the top of them, pick them off. So it's all the kind of like strategy, but how do I want to come um, up around this guy? And uh, of course the, the radar doesn't show walls. It's not a map. So you'll be trying to come up behind a guy and realize, Oh, he's on the other side of this wall. So how am I going to get around to him without him seeing me and uh, shooting at me first? It just becomes, it's a purely a stealth sniper game, essentially, even when you're in close quarters and you're using a machine gun, it's still a stealth kind of sniper game and yeah i loved it it looks good though i mean i, I love like i remember playing the first battlefield and it was kind of more like these kind of graphics and it yeah i mean it's it it looks great i mean the sniping like is showing like it it's difficult because it's not a steady shot so you gotta 
kind of yep. plan and anticipate your shot. Um, did you ever play the game Tribes? I have not. No, I know what you're talking about, though. The graphics, the graphics kind of remind me of Tribes a little bit. I I love Tribes. Speaking of Windows XP, that was that time era, <laughs> and all the graphics kind of looked like this. And it was wide open, which is why I was thinking of Tribes. Is Tribes was very wide open, but you could fly around and kind of do similar stuff. But I've never played these Delta Force games. Yeah, and they weren't. I don't think they were terribly popular. They were kind of niche, but. It's funny because I liked this game, and then I liked the complete opposite of this, which was uh, Serious Sam, which was just a million yeah. people attacking you full front all the time. Uh, you know, <laughs> that exact... was more like kind of a Duke Nukem style game, right? Uh, Serious, Sam? have you never played Serious Sam? I've never played Serious oh, Sam. Oh man, you got to play Serious Sam. It is just nonstop. Uh, running backwards and strafing while shooting at like hordes and hordes of things as they attack you. I know this has almost n- like an early zombie game. Oh my gosh. It, so you need to play serious Sam. I'm I'm sorry. That's, that's going to have to be a, a six or a, a battle of the systems or something. Uh, I have to show yeah. you, I, even though this has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now, <laughs> I, I doesn't have sh- a radar. It doesn't have a radar. In fact, I looked cause I love serious Sam more than I'd love the Delta. These, the Delta force games, but there was no radar because everything's constantly coming at you, so they really don't need a radar. Um, they don't need it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to find a, a, por- a portion here where I really show what you're talking about. But, yeah, seriously, Sam, you'll hear the, all the monsters. They all make noises while they attack, so you just hear hundreds of things making noises at you as they attack you, and you're constantly you're just constantly yeah. backtracking and, and strafing to get away from things like this guy's doing right here. But it's just, you know things in your face all the time <laughs> yeah it's so the graphics fun. look great and and giant giant um maps because you're always running because you need a lot of room to run away from all the stuff that's just constantly <laughs> coming at you yeah look at all this stuff <laughs> they're serious sam <laughs> yeah you've got to play that sorry i'll have to try to do that i wonder if there's a remastered version or something oh this one this actually is this is serious sam hd so oh, okay. um, it, it was remastered, but you did. I mean, you, in my opinion, you absolutely have to play this with a keyboard and mouse. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's why I wanted a steam version, like yep. a remastered steam version. Cool. I, I own it on steam. Yep. All right. Cool. Uh, even though we got sidetracked, that's six good games. <laughs> yeah. And as I like to say, Eric, that is an episode of pixel guide in. Perfect. Perfect. That was a good one. Hold on. Do I have my button? Nope. I got this one out. I didn't get to use that one on the show yet, so I had to put it in there somewhere. Um, cool. So on uh, next episode of Pixel Guide In, episode 71, Tim, our boy from uh, Over the Pond, as I like to say, will be joining us again. He has a Tea Time for Tim segment for us, which I have not heard the topic of yet. It's a surprise Neither, to both of so us. so it'll be a surprise to all of us. As always, we are going to catch up and talk about what we've been up to the last 30 days. Um, I have some crazy stuff I've been up to. You've so. got some crazy stuff. I've got a couple of, just a few, but big things for me. Um, and then, of course, we're going to, well, we always have a game show. So that's going to, that's yeah, got to be absolutely. We're going to have to, we're going to have to see who's going to be the host. This is true. And then we have a battle of the systems, uh, which Eric alluded to earlier, super magnetic Neo on the Dreamcast and, yep, and, and uh, crash bandicoot on the PlayStation. And I am so excited to see why you chose those games and how they relate to each other. But don't tell us now, Eric. 
<laughs> Everyone has to listen to the next episode yep. of Pixel Guide End to find out. Perfect. Perfect. Eric, do you want to take Perfect. us out on this one? Yep. So, you know what they say. It's dangerous to, to go, go alone. alone. Thank you again for listening. You can find episode information and show notes online at pixelguiden.com. Please follow us on Twitter at pixel underscore guiden. And you can also follow Eric at the project. That's D-U-H project. You can also follow Cody on Twitter at oddball49. That's O-D-D-B-A-1-1-4-9. You can reach Tim Drew as well on Twitter at Sanction, that's S-A-N-X-I-O-N. If you are interested in supporting the show financially, please join us at our Patreon account, that's patreon.com forward slash pixelguiden. Please leave a review to help get our podcast listed higher up on the show rankings. We would also love to hear from you with any comments or input, so hit us up on our email at podcast at pixelguiden.com. <laughs>